You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Jason Selms, and well, this is episode 26, Hunting Deer with the Australian Deer Association's Victorian President, Steve Garlick. Thanks, guys, and welcome back to episode 26, Hunting Deer, uh, with Steve Garlick from the Australian Deer Association, the Victorian President, and uh, I'm actually going to throw something out there. I've never actually shot a deer. That's correct. I've never actually shot a deer, and that was the main uh, part of the main reason why I actually got uh, Steve on the show uh, was to chat to you know me and the listeners about deer hunting. Now this uh, podcast goes for quite a long time and I didn't actually want to cut it down because I thought Steve done a fantastic job and I thought this covers everything from beginner deer hunting uh, to even the most advanced deer hunting. And I think everybody in between will definitely be able to get something uh, out of this podcast and I hope to get out before the end of the season and actually hunt my first deer, uh, whether it be a fallow, a red or somewhere down south of Samba, I'm uh, rearing to go to get uh, you know, a deer before the end of the season. And uh, Steve actually opened my eyes to a lot of things that I actually didn't even know in the uh, you know, the deer hunting industry and uh, certainly opened my eyes, so I'm sure it will for you listeners as well. Uh, you can check out the Deer Association at ausdeer.com.au, that's ausdeer.com.au, uh, and get more information about the Australian Deer Association. They can help you out with you know, joining the association, they can also help you out getting your firearms license and everything in between so definitely uh, check them out. Uh, one of the positives to come out is the australianhuntingpodcast.com.au page is now live. Uh, you can jump on there you can uh, click through all the widgets you can link to iTunes, Facebook page, Twitter. It's all there in the widget bar and that's going to be the best place to actually link through and listen to uh, the Australian Hunting Podcast so definitely jump on the australianhuntingpodcast.com.au website and uh, check it out and you know, if you want, flick flick me over an email and let me know what you think of it as well. But uh, also a place to get in and ch- chat to other hunters is the Facebook page, Australian Hunting Podcast, or you can subscribe to our Twitter feed at AH Podcast. Uh, if you want to email me, any ideas on guests that you may have, I'd love to hear from you. And you can email me at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. But again, the best place to download the podcast is iTunes. Rate five stars and uh, leave a comment would be fantastic. Come on, what are you waiting for? jump on there. I was actually just on there now and I've actually uh, got 32 ratings it looks like of five stars which is fantastic. There's actually no bad ones which is a positive. This is what some of the people say about the podcast. Uh, this is Urim Batum. I think that's how I say it. This is a great podcast. Subscribe now. Five stars. Chloe Newman. Great podcast you have going Jason. Really informative. Keep it up and look forward to many more episodes. Don't even know how to say this guy's name but uh, he says can't wait for the next one. Needs to be a weekly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the positive words there. From Degs, top podcast. Love all the interviews. Heaps of good information. From Sudit or Studit. It looks like a Studit, Studit. Interesting guests and a wide variety of topics covered. Now, the next one is from Info 
information is classified. Nice name. I hope this podcast to be very informative, yet also very entertaining. I also found the podcast includes the political side of shooting and hunting, and also the laws and regulations of the sport. I truly enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to see a lot more episodes. From Ray Josh, 2011. Keep it up, mate. Always good to keep me occupied when I'm out and about. From Dave, great work, Jason. Really enjoy your podcast. I find it a useful source of information for someone new to hunting and shooting. So there's a lot more on there. I'm not going to read them all, but it seems a lot of people are enjoying the Australian Hunting Podcast, what we're offering, the guests that we're having onto the show. And I please urge people to send me an email and let me know of people that you actually want to get on the show because it helps me to find out what you guys want and what you guys want to know about. For all the uh, hunters, shooters, fishermen, males, females that listen to the show, please do send me an email at australianhuntingpodcastgmail.com. Don't forget we're on Stitcher. You can go to stitcher.com. You can download the application for your iPhone, your Android, or just listen to the Australian Hunting Podcast straight from the stitcher.com website. So jump on there too. AussieFeralControl.com.au, my business website for all your feral control needs. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family. Don't forget we've got some slots for advertisements. So if you want to advertise on the show, you've got a product or your business or anything in between, send me an email and we can have a chat about it. It's our prize giveaways. If anyone's got any prizes to, or giveaways that wants to give away anything, please certainly email me again at AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, again, I appreciate all the listeners that subscribe to the show. Last month's episode, episode 25, Neil Hunt, the pigeon hunting episode, has easily in the last week and a half cleared over 2,000 downloads. So thank you very much for everyone that's contributed to that as well. But if you actually jump on the AustralianHuntingPodcast.com.au website, in the right-hand side widget bar on, on pretty much every page that you go on is the donations uh, through PayPal. You'll see the little button there to donate. Uh, all donations are really helpful in keeping the podcast going. And uh, if you like what we're actually putting out, I'd appreciate, you know, some donations, you know, for you know, listing for, you know, all the back end, the website, the uh, storage and all that. So that would certainly help. Uh, if you look, That's only if you like what we're doing. Uh, certainly would be appreciated to help out. What we got coming up uh, for the uh, late, I think late August, I'm going to have uh, Robert Borzak again for the third time on my show, the Honourable Robert Borzak from the Shooters and Fishers Party. Uh, a lot's happened over the last, you know, couple of months with National Park Hunting, and I know a lot of people actually have uh, a lot of questions surrounding the National Park Hunting. I've filled a lot of questions for Robert, and Robert's greatly obliged again to come on my show and uh, spread the word on hunting and shooting in Australia. So I guess without further ado, we should probably get into my show with Steve Garlic chatting about deer hunting and everything you wanted to know. So let's rock this show. Without further ado, let's get into my interview with the Australian Deer Association's Victorian President, Steve Garlic. Hi, this is Steve Garlic, Victorian State President of the Australian Deer Association. We're here to talk deer hunting and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Steve Garley, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Pleasure to have you on my show to come in and, you know, hopefully chat to our listeners about the uh, elusive uh, deer hunting. Thanks very much, Jason. Absolutely. All right, mate, so give us, I guess, comes down to give us a bit of a personal background. I mean, how did you actually, in particular, you know, get into hunting? You know, was it you know, family tradition? Was it a uh, family member? And uh, more importantly, I guess, how did you get into deer hunting as well? Uh, I was pretty lucky. I grew up into uh, a family where my father was a hunter. Um, his brothers, uh, he's one of nine, and all his brothers went hunting as well. Um, you know, growing up in the 40s, late 40s, and early 50s in Tassie, um, 
being one of nine, uh, effectively required them to go out and get uh, rabbits and uh, kangaroos uh, in Tassie to, to sort of feed the family. Uh, his role as a uh, insurance salesman got him access to a lot of properties to go hunting, of which uh, a lot of them contained fallow deer in Tasmania. Uh, subsequently, when uh, I came along, um, I was dragged along um, kicking and screaming in some cases uh, to go hunting with him. And uh, my earliest memories are actually uh, going hunting, uh, duck hunting with the with the old man, and certainly um, running around properties. Um, you know, some of the, the bigger deer properties in Tasmania, seeing fellow deer um, walking around. It was just uh, probably one of the one of the best childhoods you could really imagine for anyone who actually ends up getting involved in hunting. Uh, just the opportunity to be out in the bush on a regular basis, um, and also getting access to see so many deer. Absolutely. So you're not kicking and screaming anymore, getting uh, dragged along to anything, are you? Any hunts? <laughs> uh, no, God, no. The uh, the first time I went on with Dad, the, uh, I was about three years old, and he left me to walk back to the car by myself. So uh, he uh, he gave me a pretty tough lesson um, in terms of how to navigate the bush. Um, but uh, mind you, he's, he's watching me uh, pretty closely with that. But it was just an opportunity to get out and go uh, go bush and, and go hunting, and I've um, pretty much done that uh, as much as I can ever since. Yeah, absolutely. No, good stuff. So I guess tell us about, you know, in Victoria, the, the Australian Deer Association, I guess, I guess how many members you've got down there and give us some information about the association. You know, what's its sort of philosophies? What does it stand for? And what could, you know, say new members that, you know, wanted to, you know, join after listening to this podcast? What could, yeah, just give us a bit more information. That'd be good. Uh, the Australian Deer Association was formed in Melbourne in 1969. Um, it was basically a result of a... Uh, um, a, a group of blokes wanting to get together to actually uh, secure the future of deer and deer hunting. Um, currently in Victoria, we've got about uh, two and a half, three thousand members. Um, Australia-wide, we're up to around five thousand members now. Um, we have a, uh, a strong history of being advocates for the deer, uh, deer hunting, uh, and deer hunters. Um, many of the opportunities that people have to go hunting uh, in, Victoria, in Victoria and across Australia, uh, as a result of the work of the Australian Deer Association, has certainly done. Um, in terms of uh, the opportunities that we have created, we've uh, certainly allowed, especially in Victoria, we've created the opportunity to go deer hunting in national parks. Um, and as everyone would be aware, um, as a national park gets created, the opportunity to actually perform uh, to go hunting uh, or even use a firearm of any sort or anything, uh, do much things in, in national parks, uh, is actually reduced. So we've got that opportunity here in Victoria. Um, we've certainly... Uh, had opportunities on the various different species in Victoria increased over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, um, with red deer seasons and also fallow deer seasons increasing. So we've got uh, we've got six species of deer in Australia, um, and certainly we've got a uh, majority of the, the opportunities to hunt those deer species, considering we've got four of them in Victoria. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. We just got the national parks here too. Probably should be in where in New South Wales coming up towards the end of the year and. Uh, I mean, hopefully, you know, a lot of, I know there's a few of those areas that people were just talking to me about, you know, last week. Uh, definitely sort of up towards the Barrington Tops in New South Wales as well, apparently. And there's some of those uh, national parks going to be open, uh, you know, I said, the hunting towards the end of the year. Everyone's not sure how it's going to work yet, but that should be another good thing, which, you know, you, I mean, it looks like there's going to be a lot of resistance, I think, to people hunting in national parks. But uh, hopefully, you know, that's going to be some good areas to hunt in. Yeah, well, there's a very good model for hunting in national parks, and we've had it in Victoria since 1983. So anyone who's going to sit there and run around with the scaremongering campaigns that we've actually seen from some sections uh, of the community uh, can actually look at Victoria and see that there is really nothing to worry about with that. Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, you talk about actually getting access to hunting national parks in New South Wales, that was driven by a uh, a very good deer man and an ADA member, in fact, a uh, ADA life member in Robert Brown. 
uh, from the Shooters and Fisher Party. So you know, you you look at the uh, the the uh, the opportunities for deer hunters in Australia, um, and they're driven out by people that have have or uh, have some association with the Australian Deer Association. Absolutely, and you said before, I know you said you hunted, you know, deer as a kid. But I mean, do you actually do you hunt any other types of species? I mean, is deer, you know, your favourite type of hunting? And you know, if if it is, but what other types of hunting do you enjoy? Do you, you know, you're vast. Yeah, you, I heard you say ducks before. You sort of, a, you know, you like to hunt ducks as well. What's your, you, you, you hunt all types? Just give me a bit of a rundown of what you sort of enjoy hunting. Yeah, look, I um, uh, predominantly I hunt deer, um, but since I got a gun dog to hunt deer with, I've started to branch out and do a lot more uh, duck hunting and quail hunting. Uh, I've really come to appreciate um, both duck and quail hunting. We never did a lot of duck hunting in Tasmania when I was growing up. I um, did a little bit, but not a great deal, um, mainly because um, uh, duck season and deer season coincided um, when I was a kid, uh, and also once um, deer season sort of finished, I started playing football, so um, that sort of ended up you know reducing my duck hunting opportunities but now over here uh, football is long behind me um, and with the gun dog the opportunity to just get her out and actually do as many uh, different styles of hunting as possible is um, is just the way to go um, obviously in Tasmania the, uh, the predominant hunting opportunities down there are on rabbits and uh, and the wallabies have got down there being uh, um, Melons and uh, Bennett's wallabies um, so I did a lot of that hunt sort of hunting when I was a kid as well um, but it's basically anything that I get a chance to go hunting with now, I will. Um, you know, deer, ducks, quail, foxes, hares, rabbits, um, all that sort of stuff. It's just a, a good opportunity to get out in the bush. Absolutely. Can't complain with that. And from a young age, half your luck, half your luck. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess, I know you said you, you started hunting deer when your dad took you along, but when, when did you sort of... Um, you know, like actually get seriously into deer hunting, and I know people have spoken to me before. Like, like the deer, are, they're very interesting, and in, you know, I guess from my point of view, I guess people would say like the the astute type of hunting. I don't know if that sort of makes sense, but you know, people say the deer, they're like the sort of you know the ghosts of the bush. So, what is it when people, I mean, get so? You know, I guess they people do take it seriously, they get really serious into their deer hunting. So, what is it about that deer that just that people just love to get out there and hunt. What is it? I mean, it's a hard animal to hunt. They're sort of, you know, it's hard terrain getting up. And what do people love about it, Steve? What, what are the, you know, what are the, what, what is it about deer hunting? Sit and watch a deer for a few minutes, Jason. You'll understand what deer hunters get out of deer. They are just a majestic, magical animal. Um, they're a very shy animal, but they are also a very bold animal in certain ways. Um, they can be very secretive, or they can be extremely lazy. They're just uh, there's so many different aspects to their to their character. Um, again, I was such a lucky person. You know, you talk about getting involved and, and being interested in, in deer hunting, and um, I meet obviously within my role a lot of people coming into deer hunting in their um, mid to late twenties, or even in their you know thirties, forties, fifties, even sixties, they want to get into deer hunting. Um, traditionally, the opportunities, perhaps depending on where people lived, the uh, opportunities to get into deer hunting and knowledge about deer wasn't there. Um, but as we're starting to see the natural migrations of deer and, and also some of the releases from um, accidental or, or deliberately illegal releases um, from certain deer farms um, actually has spread the numbers of deer around. So what we're seeing is more opportunities for people to actually have deer in their local area. So once the deer are in their local area, they become more interested in deer. Uh, again, I was pretty lucky that I had opportunities to go into those areas when I was younger where deer were present. And being able to sit down when I was going, you know, I was going hunting kangaroos uh, when I was a kid, and I'd sit down and there'd be a, a mob of fallow deer running around, and I wouldn't be shooting kangaroos, I'd be sitting there watching the deer, because the deer were far more interesting to me than kangaroos. And they are just a magical animal to watch. 
um, and they're a magical animal to hunt. Um, you'll, you'll talk to a lot of people and they'll go, yes, but you just like killing the deer. And, and good, keen deer people, um, yeah, don't get me wrong, they want to go and dong a deer and, and put one in the freezer or, or get a good trophy and put on the wall. Um, but good, keen deer people are just happy to sit there and watch deer and they just uh, there's just something about the magical nature of a deer that just attracts people to it. Um, and once people start to get into, um, you know, they want to get past that, I want to shoot a deer, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. But some, you know, eventually people start to get past that, I have to kill every deer I see, to really starting to appreciate the animal. And that's, that's the bit about being a real deer hunter. And, and a lot of people actually um, migrate from that. There's nothing wrong with going out and... Um, and dogging 20 or 30 rabbits or, you know, shooting 20 or 30 foxes and those sort of things. Everyone loves doing that sort of stuff too. Um, but, the, you know, the good deer people tend to just go, out, okay, I want a deer, I want a deer for meat, or I want a trophy. And they're quite prepared to be singly-minded and single-focused to go out and get what they want. And it takes a lot of dedication to do it. Um, and, and that's as much of the enjoyment of deer hunting as it is actually taking the deer, um, just being able to, to dedicate yourself to a task for the day for, for a weekend, for a week, it could be a month or it could be a year, you could be chasing a particular deer for a year, two, three years because he's living in a given area um, and you know, you're know you really chasing very hard um, but he's bigger and smarter than you and sometimes actually getting close enough to that deer but being beaten by him um, in his own terrain is just a bigger thrill than actually taking him. Absolutely and we're going to sort of get in you know, what types of species and where to hunt soon but Tell me, you know, like some people go out, as you've just said, they go out, you know, and they're lucky enough to get either a trophy or a beautiful, you know, meat deer on their first outing, you know, that's, uh, let's say that's the best case scenario. Then you've probably heard no doubt stories of other people that have gone out for two, three, maybe four, five years, if it depends on how dedicated they are, as you said before, before they get their deer. I mean, there, there are species, as you said, that can be smart, but also can be, you know, a little bit on the lazy or silly side. So, you know, what's the average people going, is it more... The more you get in the field, the more you, obviously, obviously that's going to be the more success you're going to have. But uh, is, is a lot of element you know, tracking the deer, being in the right spot, making sure you're being in the right forests or national parks. What, just give us a bit of a rundown, yeah. Probably the key thing is to actually know um, a little bit about the deer. Um, you're actually trying to hunt, and the best methodology to hunt those deer. Um, you know, at, at a high level, there's some there's some ways in some areas on the uh, you know in, in various terrains that you, you probably sit there and say, okay, well, I think the deer is going to be in this area. Um, as you said, you've got to be able to understand deer sign. Deer behaviour is probably the key thing, you know, the time of day. Um, some people would sit there and say there's no point uh, out hunting deer um, between the hours of, you know, 11am and, say, 3pm because the deer are all bedded up um, and not going anywhere. Well, I've shot the best samba stag that I've ever had the opportunity to hunt at, um, at 1.05 in the afternoon. Um, and I'm certain there's plenty of other blokes out there that have got stories like that where they thought, oh, OK, I'll just uh, sit down here and have a break for lunch or I'll sit and I'll wait, and the deer's walked up to them. Um, the deer have general behavioural structures, but there's always the exception to the rule with deer, um, and, and that's basically it. You, know, you, you really can, um, you know, as you said, getting time in the bush is probably the key thing with deer. Um, they're not the sort of animal that you're generally going to be able to walk out uh, and just find standing in a paddock. Um, they will, don't get me wrong, they will do that. Usually that's, that happens when you don't have the gun. So you'll walk out and you'll find <laughs> yeah, a... Yeah, true. You'll usually find, you know, so I'll just, 
well, that looks like an interesting rub tree, or that might look like, oh, I wonder what that thing is there. So you walk over without the gun, look up, and there's a big stag standing there looking at you. And it's happened to a heap of blokes that I know as well. It's happened to me. Um, you know, they're just the opportunities that, that go begging sometimes. Um, and you kick yourself for it. Um, but, you know, look, that's that's the joy of deer hunting, because everyone sits around the campfire overnight um, and tells those stories. And everyone, everyone who's actually hunted deer for long enough can understand those stories um, and that's again you know it's, it's the enjoyment of actually being able to tell those stories about deer and being in the opportunity to go deer hunting but it's half the enjoyment about deer hunting as well you know they, everyone's got one of them it's just magnificent absolutely so like let's talk about species i mean i guess let's talk about it australia wide i guess because obviously we've got new south wales and you guys down there in victoria so tell us about the deer species and um you know what would be say uh the most popular and what would sort of be the biggest as well so just start with yeah what sort of deer species we've got in australia that people could expect to hunt if they would get out there in the bush okay look probably the most numerous species we have in australia would be fallow deer um, they're based in, they're, they're probably throughout Australia now. Once upon a time, they were the, uh, the stranglehold of fallow deer was Tasmania and um, South Australia. Um, but as uh, deer farming sort of took off in the late 70s and early 80s, um, fallow deer spread across the country through the farms. And then obviously with some accidental and or deliberate releases, um, they're pretty much available in every state and territory in Australia at the moment. I'm not certain actually what happens in, in the Northern Territory with fallow deer, but I know... Um, Queensland, New South, ACT, Victoria, Tassie, South Australia, and even in uh, Western Australia, there's fallow deer. So they're they're our most numerous um, species of deer, um, and certainly the widest spread species of deer at this stage. Um, then you've probably got Samba. The traditional home of Samba has been Victoria, um, with a small population on the Coburg Peninsula. Uh, they are starting to move. The, the wave of Samba is really starting to move up through New South Wales now. Um, I know there's a, a small herd up around uh, Batemans Bay as well. Um, uh, so, you know, they're, they're starting to to, uh, to certainly get around. They're probably the most important species in Victoria. Um, they are the single most hunted species in Victoria and the ones we have the most access to. Um, in, terms of, in terms of access to deer across, um, across the country, Samba are probably the most easily accessible because of the opportunities and, and the way that the... Uh, the structure of the, the regulations are in Victoria and the land access, you know, it's, it's very easy to come and hunt Samba. Of course, they're not a very easy deer to hunt, but we can talk about that in a minute. Then you've got, uh, then you've got um, Chittle, um, uh, which are predominantly in uh, uh, far north Queensland, although there's some other herds starting to pop up uh, in other areas at the moment. Rusa deer, once with a stranglehold, you know, they, they were basically uh, confined to the Royal National Park um, in in uh, New South Wales, in Sydney, Sydney there, um, but we're, again we're starting to see their numbers spread. Uh, in terms of trophies um, from Rooster Deer, their, their trophy register basically said over the last uh, 20 years, the instead of the top heads coming out of uh, New South Wales, they're all starting to come out of Queensland now, so there's a herd of uh, Rooster in Queensland producing magnificent trophies. Um, Red Deer, um, again, uh, they're starting to, their numbers are starting to increase because of the deer farming industry. Um, traditionally, they were a uh, Brisbane and Mary Valleys in Queensland and also um, the Grampians in Victoria, but there's also a, uh, a small herd coming through in Western Australia now. Um, and there, there's obviously herds coming out through the Snowies and, and other areas in Victoria uh, and New South Wales due to the deer farming industry as well, you know, accidental or deliberate releases. Um, uh, they're getting out and, and getting around. There's also a herd of red deer, obviously, in South Australia. 
Um, and hog deer are our um, probably our most valuable species from a um, a worldwide perspective um, and huntable perspective. Um, they're pretty they're pretty well endangered in their native range. They're a very hard little deer to hunt. Um, the opportunities are very limited. We've got a very small population of hog deer, and the main reason for that is just the habitat that they uh, they inhabit. Um, you know, they like those little low marshy type country, and there's just not a lot of it um, in Australia. Um, our main populations are. Uh, down around the uh, Gippsland Coast, um, East Gippsland Coast and the Gippsland Coast in Victoria and uh, in some of the national parks such as uh, Wilson's Prom and also on Snake Island which is not huntable. There is a uh, effectively a private herd of hog deer on um, Carra Park which is uh, Sunday Island down off the Gippsland Coast um, and they've had a very, very successful, I think it's nearly uh, almost pushing up towards 50 years of private management and effective management of hog deer on Sunday Island. So, that's a, a rough outline of the species. There's a few different little subspecies running around. I think we've got Moluccan rooster still in, um, which is a Moluccan rooster in uh, Queensland area, I think. Um, and they're a, they're a pretty um, important deer herd from a conservation of the species, um, mainly because there's, you know, when you've got species and subspecies, they are a pure subspecies, and we need to be mindful that they don't interbreed um, to keep that uh, to keep that subspecies going. Um, because hybridisation effectively ends up killing off a species, so we need to be mindful of that sort of stuff as well. Um, but in terms of you know, the overall deer scene, that's, a, that's sort of a, a bit of a description of a uh, high level of the deer. Yeah, absolutely. So what I was going to say before we probably get into how to hunt them, I know people. I've got a few emails from people to say um, when they're hunting deer. I guess the importance or, or lack of of camouflage. Um, some people. I know they've said, um, you know, the deer can see, you know, the blaze orange. They feel like they can see the blaze orange. They're being picked out. I mean, is that one, one I guess, is that true? And two, what is the importance of, uh, you know, camouflage whilst hunting deer? Or is it other aspects that would come before, such as movement or noise? What would come before that? And, and as I said, is camouflage important, say, you know, when hunting deer? The most important thing when hunting deer is your scent doesn't get to that deer. Um, I don't know what we smell like the deer, but whenever you've seen a deer get a nostril, nostril full of humans, it's head up, tail up, and off I'm going at 100 miles an hour. Um, just your smell, any time you can feel the wind on the back of your neck when you're deer hunting, you might as well put the gun in the car and go home because the deer um, are going to smell you and they're going to get away from you. Um, the next thing would be movement. Um, deer see movement. They don't tend to see colour that well, um, but they will see movement. Um, so the objective is to move slowly through the bush and use your eyes um, to, to see them before they see you. Um, and then obviously there's, there's certain colours that they will see, you know, big bright white lights. Um, and if you consider that most people um, hunt without a, a face veil or any stubble or anything on their face, um, you know, you, you, you actually see, with your, people would see your, their mates when they're out hunting in the bush. What's the first thing you notice? You'll notice the back of their hands or your face because they're big white patches generally, obviously, if you're a light-skinned person anyway. Um, and so it's very important that you um, you cover that up, you know, put a hat on your head. Um, a blaze orange hat's not going to hurt. The deer are not going to see blaze orange. They will see, they will see the movement. They might smell you. Um, they'll hear you coming. Um, but depending on the deer species and... and and how alert the deer is, they may not worry about the sound you're making because there's different sounds you can make. You can just sneak through the bush um, and crack the odd twig, etc. And the deer might just look up and go, "Oh, is that another animal walking towards me?" Um, and of course, then if they recognise you as a human, bang off, they'll go. The other thing is too that I've 
the other thing too I've noticed is um, being on two legs. Now I know it's how we generally get around, um, but I've been able to uh, see a few deer um, while hunting or even while not hunting, just out with the camera taking photos. Um, if they spot you straight away, get straight down low to the ground um, because anything on two legs, something triggers in the, um, the brain of the ear says, hang on, that's danger. If you got straight down to the ground, um, you could, and if you are hunting, you could raise the rifle at that time and you might get a shot off at the deer. You know, the deer might look at you for one, two, three seconds, which is all you need. If you're a, if you're a skilled marksman and you're, you're comfortable with the firearm, you could probably get a shot at that deer within two or three seconds. So they're the sort of basic things you need to be mindful of. But blaze orange is a pretty important thing to be wearing in the bush, um, mainly from the perspective of um, the safety. Uh, and it's it's safety with the firearm, um, but mostly safety from the point of view of you actually injure yourself and fall over. How hard is it to uh, find you in the bush if you don't have something that's distinguishable on? Um, you know, uh, a lot of people sit there and say, oh, the deer will see you, all that sort of stuff. That's absolute rubbish. There's a lot of blokes that have shot a lot of deer that walked out in the old black and red checked um, swan dry. Um, blokes, have shot, blokes have shot him in a, in a, a black t-shirt or a green t-shirt or you know the old King G, um, the old King G khaki work clothes and overalls and God knows whatever else you know. So um, camouflage is not necessarily that important, um, especially to a rifle shooter. Um, certainly to a bow hunter, um, you know, camouflage is really important. You know, when you start to get down to that. Um, bow hunting range of you know 40 metres or less you really need something to, to break up your outline and that's what effectively what camouflage does it allows you to break up your outline but for the average deer hunter and, and most deer get shot within 100 metres if you're being able to get within that you know 70, 80, 70 to 100 metres of, deer, of a deer um, and as long as you're not being centred as long as you're not making too much noise you're not moving too quickly um, and you're mindful of what the deer is doing and you take the best opportunity to to, um, to not move while it's actually looking at you. Um, most deer generally go, oh, what's that I'm looking at there, which gives you enough time to take a shot um, at a deer. Um, yeah, if yeah. The, if the I've seen people do that, haven't they? Like I've seen, you know, like I've got, even I've got the tips when we hunted, you know, goats before, like some things were common sense, but, you know, like when they're feeding, you know, I'm moving in sort of behind a tree and then boom, they look up, I'm like, uh-oh, don't move, you know what I mean? And then you'd look, and I don't know, if they're looking right at me, I'm thinking, I wonder what it's thinking about, you know, is it, is it, is it seeing me, is it, what's that, or is it, am I just blending in, and it's just, well, something's over there, but now I can't see anything, and then, you know, it goes, uh, no, or I put its head down, then I start moving, and then, they look back at me, I go, oh, stop again, and, you know, it's kind of, I don't know how the, like, I've got a few friends and a few people that have posted on our, you know, our Facebook page, sort of hunting our deer with, you know, bows, and, and I'm thinking, man, how on earth did they get that close to them without even seeing them? You know, it can really be an art form of just getting in there, can't it? And and, and spending the time if the deer aren't sort of moving quickly and just feeding, and spending your taking your time to 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 get in there and stalk in, basically. Yeah, well, my uh, my uh, father-in-law and brother-in-law, um, they all hunt with a bow, and they um they read into me regularly because they they're they're bow hunters, so they're into that, um, you know, getting into that. 40 metres or less space of, of hunting um, and uh, you know it's an exceptional skill to have um, I uh, I like to eat a little bit more often than that so that's why I take a rifle um, but the you know the, the basic the basic premise is exactly the same you know if you're moving slowly um, you know you're mindful of your shape you're mindful of um, you know to cover the backs of your hands like I always wear fingerless gloves when I go hunting um, number one reason in the Victorian high country is freezing 
um, but also you actually cover those backs of your hands, you know, those big white, you know, your hands are moving regularly using binoculars, carrying the gun, um, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, don't give the deer an opportunity to see something that's actually going to move. And, and when you say, does the deer look at you and what is it going through its head? Um, you know, remember you're in their environment. It's like if you were to find a deer in your house, you'd know a deer was there immediately because there's something out of place. Um, and they know their they only know their environment quite well. They 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 seem to they seem to know that you know what's, the tree wasn't there before. Um, and and that's the sort of things that hunters do when they're in the bush as well. You know, it, it's actually being able to see a deer. And you're not going to see a whole animal. You know, you might see a bit of an ear. You might see a bit of you know the back line is a, a very good thing to look for when you're hunting deer. You know that little. Uh, the, the drop off the back line through down to the back legs through the rump, you know, you might just see a bit of a, a ginger, if you're know, hunting sample or various other species, you might see a little bit of a white backside, a bit of a ginger backside. Um, you might see the ivory tip on an antler and you're looking for those little things that are out of place. And the deer does that exactly with us as well. So, you know, they're the sort of things you need to be mindful of. And that's why, you know, blaze orange is good, red and, che- red and black check shirts are quite good, anything that's going to break up your outline. Um, you know, blues are probably not a good colour to actually wear in the bush. Um, because deer tend to see in the ultraviolet spectrum, um, and blue will blue will stand out. Um, but I always hunt with a blaze orange hat on, um, whether it be a beanie or a, or a hat, a, a cap or something. And I've got a um, a backpack that's got a blaze orange square on the back of my um, back of my backpack. Um, it's not there. You know, a blaze orange will not stop a bullet. Um, it's not about um, you know being bulletproof or anything. It's an opportunity for me to be seen by other hunters. Um, you know, it might be another hunter. I'm uh, you know. I might be in a gully where there's another hunter and he sees me and goes, well, I'm not going to go that way. Or he might actually do something smart and sit off me and say, I'm going to sit here and see where this bloke goes and see what he pushes up to me. Um, but he's also, if if he's a good hunter, and when I say a good hunter, it's a safe hunter. If he's a good hunter, he's going to sit there and go, okay, well, I know that bloke's there. I'm going to be mindful where I put the rifle or, or, or fire a shot and all that sort of stuff as well. So, you know, we... We have a, a responsibility for everybody's safety when we hold the gun. You know, it's, it's our, the person who holds the guns, it's their safety. So, you know, it's no point saying if you actually shoot someone um, because they're wearing full camo, oh, it was his fault that he's wearing full camo. No, it's your responsibility. And that's why I think most blokes actually like wearing a bit of blaze orange. It just gives every other opportunity, um, the opportunity for everyone to actually say, hey, I'm here, I'm there, I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm taking, I'm taking responsibility for my own safety. Exactly. Yeah, I've got the uh, orange hat as well. But when you're saying, <laughs> you just brought up a funny thing. Actually, it's more of a funny thing. But uh, when you're saying deer, you know, it'd be weird if a deer was in your house. But it always reminds me. And I saw it, I think, two nights ago. You know, the what's that ad with the? I think it might be the red deer. You know, the beer ad with all the bloody deer. Yeah, all the deer running. Just I don't know. That just came to mind for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I think every, I think every deer hunter in Australia is actually looking at that ad and going, "Well, there's some magnificent looking deer on that." But that's, that's, I'm also going, yeah, "That reminds me of when I was a young." Boy. Like going out for the pub every night of the week too. Yeah, I know they're out in the city. Then they're they're at the nightclub. <laughs> uh, I just thought that was a brilliant. Yeah, chasing hinds around. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I got, let's start let's start getting into the crux of it and saying, you know, what's the best place to should we look at for start you know hunting deer? I mean, are they going to hang around you know as you said national parks and that sort of stuff? But let's say what what type of very hilly areas they're going to be around dams for water. You know, um, they're going to be open paddocks and, you know, I guess, wh- where would they be feeding and what do they feed on? So just give us a bit of a general roundabout there. 
Well, there's a um, <clears throat> there's an old uh, a few of the Victorian guys might be um, aware of this. A bloke called Jack Dye used to play footy with the uh, with the Richmond Football Club, and he used to say to the footballers, "Say, don't go where the ball ain't." And that's probably a pretty good um, example for them for, for going deer hunting. There's no point going with the deer or not. Um, a good example is I went hunting in uh, Bago State Forest up in New South the other week, um, and I'd, I'd never hunted there before, so I was effectively going up there and looking around to see where the deer were. And there was some magnificent deer habitat up there. There wasn't too many deer in there because there was no sign. Um, you know, being an experienced deer hunter, you know what you're looking for, and I didn't see much. I saw plenty of horse sign, um, but I didn't see too much deer sign. So that's the first thing you need to be able to to, to identify if you're going to go deer hunting. Um, you know, it, you can pretty much guarantee in Victoria somewhere between the, the Hume Highway, the Princess Highway, and and also the New South Wales border, there's going to be salmon somewhere. So what you need to be able to do is identify where those deer are. And the best thing to do is be able to identify tracks um, and uh, tracks, um, droppings, rub trees, um, and that's where the deer are looking at. Where they will be living, um, what do they need? They need food, water, um, and shelter. Um, so depending on where you know, the habitat you're in, you want to be looking for those sort of things. Um, in terms of, um, you know, I'll, I'll focus on Samba at the moment because they're the species I hunt mostly. You know, there's plenty of food, plenty of water, and plenty of cover in the Victorian high country. But then you start to look at, okay, well, we're in the middle of winter now. Where's the deer going to want to hang out? Are they going to hang out on the south side of a uh, of a hill where it's cold, um, and they're not, you know, they're not getting a lot of sun on them? Or you know yourself when you get up on the on the first thing of the morning, you think, oh my god, it's freezing. What do I want to do? And as soon as you get that first bit of sunlight on you, if you get the opportunity, it's like, oh, this is great. That's where the deer's going to be. You know, that, that's where that sun hits the hill the first thing in the morning. You can guarantee yourself there will be a deer of sort somewhere there. If, the, if there's deer in the area, they'll be there because they want to get the warmth of the sun as well. Um, you know, in in summer when it's 40 degrees, you you're going to go and stand out in the middle of the paddock. Um, or stand out in the middle of the middle of a sunny area and go, um, yeah, okay, that's great. I'm, I'm getting baked here by the sun. Or you're going to go and stand um, under a tree or next to a bit of a, a cool creek or something where you can get a bit of a, a light breeze going through to cool you down. To, to find a deer, you've almost got to think like a human. You know, where do I want to be? Um, what sort of foods around? Um, you know, what do I need? Do I need water? Um, you know, um, during the during the uh, during the day, generally a deer will be bedded up. You know, depending, as I said, depending on the uh, the type of uh, the, the seasons. You know, in winter they'll bed up in a in a place out of the breeze um, and in the sun. You know, deer hate wind as well. They'll be, they'll be out of the breeze. They'll sit in the uh, sit in the sun and get warm all day. And if it gets too warm, they might walk into the shade a bit. Um, in summer, they'll tend to hang out somewhere where they don't have to walk too far for for water, um, and and they'll they'll get a bit of cool breeze and they'll be in the shade. Um, of a morning, depending on the species again, like fallow deer of a morning, um, you'll probably find them still walking back off the paddocks because fallow deer tend to like grazing. Um, and if you're in that sort of farm fringe type area, um, they'll be out in the middle of the paddocks um, and slowly walking back to the bush. And also, um, conversely, of an afternoon, um, you'll find them starting to move from the bush out onto the paddocks to have a food. Um, and they can do that at any time of the day. You know, hog deer. Um, you know, you might find them getting up somewhere between 11 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they'll want to go to a waterhole. Um, and for hog deer, a waterhole might be just sending um, a water that's got uh, down the bottom end of a little wombat scratching in that low scrub country that we get around East Kippsland. Um, 
you know, so there's all those little different areas you need to look at, and that's, um, you know, you talk about the best place to start looking for, looking to go hunting deer, but the best place is another deer hunter, you know, trying to get some knowledge from another deer hunter, um, because um, there's just so much information out there, and there's so many different variances with the species and the hunting opportunities that you really need to start to build your profile of deer and deer knowledge. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't go out in the bush, because the best way to obviously um, learn about deer is being in the bush, um, but you know you want to try and grab some knowledge from somebody else, and that's how most people got into deer hunting. Um, and I can certainly say for myself, is getting getting into deer hunting and being around regular deer hunters helped build your knowledge very very quickly. Mm. So I guess people, how can they, uh, you know, like a new hunter, identify, you know, uh, tree rubs, and and why do the deer actually uh, rub trees? And deer rub trees for two reasons. Um, one to clean the uh, the velvet off their antlers. Now deer have a uh, deer grow a new set of antlers every year, which is effectively bone. Um, so uh, they start off and it's effectively like a soft bone, and it's covered with what is effectively a velvet type substance. And as the deer grow uh, and their antlers get to full size, um, the blood supply is cut off um, from from the antler, and the antler hardens and it actually starts to turn into bone. And it appears, not that I, not that I think anyone can actually ask a deer, but it appears that it actually itches the deer. Um, so they start rubbing their antlers on trees and get that velvet off. Um, that also acts as a signpost for other deer. You know, I'm here. And they also, depending on the species, they'll actually rub their face on the tree um, as well and they'll signpost it. So I know particularly with salmon, they've got preorbital glands down just below their eyes and they'll rub on trees to actually put their scent on the deer. Uh, so put their scent on the tree. Um, and, and what that does is that identifies which deer in each even area. It's exactly like a dog, you know, running around peeing on every lamppost in the, in, in the street. Um, and deer do that. Um, they also use to, the rubbing to strengthen their neck muscles for when they're, cause when they're rutting. You know, deer obviously fight the territory and fight for, um, fight for the uh, access to the females. So they'll use those trees to actually strengthen their neck muscles. And I've seen deer really get into, um, you know, fallow deer particularly love rubbing wattle trees, you know, those young wattles. Um, and they really love getting the wittiness of the wattles and they really get into them and they strengthen their neck muscles up. So you see a fallow deer around, you know, uh, mid-February, he's got a real skinny sort of neck, um, you know, not a lot of strength and he's probably just starting to come into hard antler. You get him a month later into the middle of March when they're almost ready to start running and he's been rubbing for probably two or three weeks at that stage and his neck muscles are really starting to build up and uh, if you get an opportunity to actually watch them, um, you'll really see them actually get into the trees and really rub it and they'll bash them um, with their antlers and, and headbutt them and push against them you know, with their whole body weight and it's really about strengthening. It's almost like a... Um, uh, it's like a boxer sparring or hitting a punching bag, and it's probably probably similar to that. And that's why deer rub trees. And there's a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, if you actually if you actually follow um, tree rubs, you'll actually find a line, and and you probably can almost walk around the the, the area of a deer. You know, find out where he's moving on a regular basis. Um, and there are really you know, tree rubs are an excellent excellent piece of sign to identify where there's deer in the area. You know, generally if you're not finding rubs, there's not too many deer running around, especially not too many stags. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about what's mate. What's the best time of year? Someone, you know, someone wants to get out there. They want to try and be successful. What's the best time of year to hunt deer? Most people hunt deer um, uh, during the winter months. Um, you know, late late uh, autumn through to probably middle of spring. Um, mainly because, uh, certainly in Victoria, mainly because the weather's a bit cooler. It's not as hot. Not as many snakes running around. The deer are in hard antlers. So if you actually shoot a shoot a male animal, um, the antlers are going to be worth preserving. 
um, you know, if they're in soft, if they're in soft velvet, um, the antlers usually aren't much. Um, so, you know, and they're not easily preserved. Obviously, they haven't grown to their full potential as well. So, um, but that depends on why you're hunting deer as well. Like, if you want to go and hunt a meat animal, um, there's nothing wrong with hunting over summer. The only thing is, you need to be very mindful of where you're going to actually hunt that deer and how you're going to get that. Um, if you're hunting for meat, how you're going to get that carcass back to home um, without blowflies, dirt, all that sort of stuff. Um, but most people probably start hunting deer. You know, I, I would say a rough deer season in Australia. I mean, it's a fairly long deer season, probably somewhere around the 1st of March. Most blokes are really starting to think about gearing up for their deer hunting, probably through to about the end of November um, when you've got to start to think of you know Christmas parties and, and Christmas and all those sort of things there. So you, you've probably got a nine-month deer season in Australia, um, and that's not a, a regulated deer season, but that's just a rough season about when people actually go hunting. Um, in terms of uh, most states in Australia, um, um, there is you know, generally a fairly long season. I know in Victoria we've got full year so a year-round season on fallow, um, samba. Um, with the change in the regulations, shortly there'll be a full year season on red deer. Um, I know Queensland doesn't have any seasons. Um, same with South Australia. Um, there's no real seasons over there as well. Um, I think New South Wales is from, I think it might be maybe March 1st to October 30, if I'm correct. We'll have to check the Game Council yeah, website to check yeah, it out. Yeah, that's, that's correct. But that's only for um, reds and fallow. Um, you know, with Rusa, Chittle um, and Samba in New South Wales, they've got a full year season on those. Hog beer in Victoria, there's um, you know, a one month season in April, and I think it's pretty much the same in New South Wales, or it may be changing. I think so. Yeah, that's right. I think so. And Tasmania's got a bit of a, a bit of an interesting season in that um, there's a, uh, a, a buck season from around probably late last weekend in February through to the last weekend in March, or you know, depending on usually about a month season on the bucks, and then they've got another season sort of from about the mid May through to end of June, early July on, on just females. Um, you know, a person I can see that season change and, and give people a bit more of an opportunity down there. Um, but that's been, you know, that's been in place for a lot of years down there as well. So, you know, the opportunities are there. There's plenty of opportunities to actually hunt deer. Um, a lot of it actually comes down to when what species you want to hunt um, and, um, you know, what you really want out of your hunting. You know, um, as I said, if you want to hunt meat animals, um, you know, everyone knows what it's like in the Australian summer with flies and God knows whatever else. You know, you really want to be. Uh, uh, most people try and have their their freezer full of venison by um, you know mid November in Victoria because you know you just really can't be bothered dealing with the uh, with the flies and all that sort of stuff. And it just makes it um, you know keeping the meat um, uh, worthy for the table um, you know, in, in, a, in that sort of manner. Exactly. And was, let's say, what's the best time and when a deer more. When are they most active, and what's the best time to said to hunt them? You said if I'm, you know, just I go out in, you know, March or April, you know, as you said, you shot one of your best ones at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon. So when are they more active for, say, you know, like to try and hunt them? Is it say, you know, from sunrise to say 10 a.m. or night, you know, just before dusk? What's the best? When are they going to start feeding, and when are they going to, you know, what's going to be the best part of the day to hunt them? I think as a general rule. Um a lot more deer tend to get shot in the afternoon than in the morning. But um, in saying that, you know, I would I'd say particularly in Samba sort of habitat, um, you know, probably between two and five most deer would be shot, um, especially around the winter winter months. You know, obviously as the days get longer, you, you stretch that time out. Um, but really you're looking, if you, if you want to be hunting deer, you need to be in the field, you know, as just as the sun, you know, just before or just as the sun's coming up. You know, you want to be able to, 
be able to see into the bush, obviously. That's a critical thing. Um, and obviously that afternoon, you want to sort of be out in the field um, um, from that sort of like 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon right through to, to, to sundown. And a good example is the way I hunt. Um, you know, I'm up um, before the sun comes up, you know, have a cuppa, have breakfast, and I'm just walking out of camp or, or um, just walking into the bush just as I can see, you know, that 50 to 100 metres in the bush. Um, so, you know, you're looking at you know, that half an hour before um, before the sun really starts to get up so you can actually see. Um, uh, and then I'll be hunting all day. Like, I'll be in the bush all day. I won't come back to camp um, generally until after dark, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be walking out of the bush right on last lot, um, and that's the way I hunt. But then again, on fallow deer hunting, I'll be well up before the sun's up, and I'll be in position um, to try and catch the deer coming off the paddocks on um, the farmland that I hunt. Um, you know, I'll be in position probably a good hour before um, the deer start moving off the paddocks, um, so that I can just, if the bush can get an opportunity to calm down, you know, you're going to disturb other animals, that's just the way it is when you're walking in there. Um, so what do I do? I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, and the bush is nice and quiet, I'm just waiting for the deer to walk to me. Um, and I've had plenty of opportunities to shoot deer like that. The best fellow stag I ever shot, a fellow buck I ever shot, was, um, um, I was sitting back into the bush about 200 metres, um, uh, glassing the paddocks and uh, expecting the deer to come come up off the paddocks from me, and he did. Um, the deer came a completely different way than I thought he was going to, but that's that's the way you would hunt that sort of species of deer. Um, I'd actually seen him the evening before because I got down in there um, to to the paddocks where he was feeding, um, and was watching that with the binoculars. And he walked out at about uh, probably probably in March, so he probably walked out at about six o'clock, uh, and he was just too far away for me to get a shot at. Um, so I waited um, and was watching him for about three hours. He, you know, he was feeding around. Uh, I couldn't sneak in on him because there was just too much open paddock in front of me. Um, but you know, I was in position early. I was waiting, and that's the sort of sort of sort of hunting I was doing on fallow deer. You know, with hog deer, um, you know, a lot of hog deer hunting is actually conducted from a tree stand. So you want to be in that tree stand um, pretty much all day. You know, you you basically got to prepare yourself to sit down all day and just not do anything. Um, you know. And that's that's but that's the way you need to hunt those deer. You know, they're a small deer. Um, you know, they'd be lucky to come up to your knees almost. You know, they're not a really tall deer, and they're living in you know low scrub. So you know, you're not going to be able to walk up and stalk up on them. So you've got to sit there and you've got to get some advantage. So you get a bit of height, and you've got to wait them out. So you want to you know sit over a game trail or sit over a waterhole, and that's how you hunt those species of deer. So, yeah. Speaking of that though, about say you know like I mean I know in the Americans the Americans love their tree stands, and that's a lot of their predominantly deer hunting. But in Australia, I mean, I know some people, you know, would get, I mean, it depends on the person, actually, the individual. So they might get bored just sitting there. Is it, does it, is it, is it, is it say, a 50-50 from, say, like getting into a position, you know, like, say, you know, half an hour, you said an hour, half hour before, you know, the sort of, you know, the sun up and, you know, the deer start moving? Or is it better just to, you know, just to keep making ground and keep moving just to try and find the deer? What's... What's you know? Is it a fifty-fifty? Is it you know seventy percent you know sitting around just waiting and listening and seeing what happens, or is it you know eighty percent of it's covering ground trying to find the deer? Yeah, look, it, it depends. I mean, I um, you know a good example of fallow deer hunting. I I would go to the areas where I think oh, I know the deer are going to come out. You know, I've been hunting this plot property since I was like fourteen. So what's that? Really thirty-six years or like that. Um, you know, I'm I'm sitting there. Um, I'm sitting there waiting for those deer to come out. Now, if, I, if those deer don't come out on that particular paddock, I'm going to go out and go, okay, well, they're not there. Are they going to be in another area? And that's about knowing the areas that you hunt. Um, it's the same with um, 
with hunting salmon, I'm getting into a spot where I think these deer are going to be. Now, if they're not there and I can tell by the sign or I can't see them, well, I'm going to keep walking at a slow pace and using binoculars and, and those sort of things to actually find the deer. Um, you know, generally, you, uh, you know, generally you would sit there and say, okay, well, I might sit here and wait. You know, if you're if you're sitting there in the afternoon and you're waiting on a feed plot, um, you can sit there and think, oh, there's no deer going to come out here. And all of a sudden, and I've done this numerous times, all of a sudden you look to your left or your right and think, oh, there they are over there. You know, one deer has just you know, they've just jumped up, um, jumped the fence and walked into a paddock to actually have a feed on some some turnips or or some barley stubble or something that that effect. Uh, I know a mate of mine was sitting on a on a cropping Tassie one night um, and it was you know getting on to you know dark was at about 8.30 at about 8.05 uh, about 40 or 50 deer fellow deer run at a thousand miles an hour jump the fence come into the middle of the paddock stop dead and just started feeding um, that's the sort of behaviour you can actually get from deer so you know you, yeah it, it almost it almost was except it wasn't sta- it wasn't a buck amongst them so he didn't fire a shot but um, you know but but regardless of that you know if that was other, that was another area um, where it was legal to take a take a, a, a fellow doe or a fellow spiky, um, you know, he would have been able to take a meat animal there if he wanted one. Um, so, you know, there's, there's all those sort of opportunities. You, while if you're in the bush, you're in the game of deer hunting. Um, you know, some days you could be in the best deer habitat in the world and you see that much sign and for some unknown reason the deer just aren't there. Um, no matter how much you move around, no matter how much you look, um, they just happen. You know, they just haven't been. They're just not there. Um, some days you're in an area where you think you're not going to see a deer, and the, and the best stag you're going to see walks out in front of you. Um, but you know, it's just that sort of that, that sort of game. Um, in terms of putting the odds in your favour, that's about knowing your hunting area. You know, a lot of um, there's a lot of country in Victoria to hunt salmon. I'm certain there's a lot of country across Australia to go and hunt deer. Um, but the blokes who tend to have the most luck tend to uh, you know, hunt two, three, four areas that they know intimately and they've been going back to regularly over a period of, you know, um, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, it's a persistence, knowing the deer movements, the deer, um, the deer behaviours, um, when they're going to be in these particular areas. Um, uh, you know, sometimes the deer will not be in an area for, um, you know, three to six months. They just don't spend any time there. Um, other times that they will come back and they'll spend a considerable period of time of being able to pattern the deer and the deer behaviour. That's the that's the difficult thing. You're not going to shoot a lot of deer by keeping going to new areas because you're not going to know what the deer behaviours and the deer movements are. So you need to start going back to the same areas regularly um, uh, as often as you can anyway um, and start to pattern that deer behaviour. And once you start to pattern that deer behaviour and where they're living, you'll start to actually start you know shoot a lot more deer um, and, and you'll get a lot more opportunities to shoot deer. That's probably the key thing. Absolutely. Let's say when you're normally hunting too, how, you know, like do they move in you know, groups where you get two or threes, where you get them in singles, as you just said, where you get them in, you know, in 30s or 40s? What's the, what's the average groups could you expect to see deer in? Depends on the numbers. I mean, when I was growing up in Tassie, there was nothing unusual to see a mob of, you know, I remember seeing some mobs of 70 or 80 fallow deer running together. Um, you know, you'd see, you'd regularly see mobs of 10, 12 um, deer getting around of, of mixed mixed aged animals and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, now, you know, the deer numbers have been uh, been reduced, the deer herd's been reduced a bit in certain areas. You know, I'd probably see, you know, um, four or five together. Um, you know, and, and it depends on the species, you know, red, fallow, um, Rusa, Chittle, they're predominantly a herd animal, you know, so they tend to like, you know, they're, they're what they call gregarious, they tend to like hanging out with other animals. 
Sham and don't tend to form large groups. You know, you might find up to about seven or eight animals in a group with samba. Um, you know, hog deer, uh, you know, hog deer are a fairly solitary type animal. You might find two, three, four together. Um, you know, and hog deer might actually feed together, but they're not technically in a group together. Um, so, you know, and, you know, as I said, with the best samba stag I shot, um, he was there with another hind. Um, the hind actually walked out in front of me, and I had a full freeze at that stage, so I said, well, I'm not going to take you. Um, and then she ran off and started honking at, at, at me to alert, um, to alert the stag was there, and then I thought, oh, okay, well, that must be the hind walking through the trees, and come out the other side, and it was a nice 28-inch samba. So, um, you know, they tend to hang around in the you know, two through four samba, um, fallow deer, um, you know, again, they can they can be a single animal. Um, you know, the the, the big um, fellow buck that I shot, he was just a single animal walking through the bush. On the other hand, I've seen um, you know mobs of you know ten, twelve um, bucks running around together as well, um, even with a few does. So it just it just depends on what's in the area. You know, the more deer in the area, especially with those gregarious type animals, you get actually a good example of some of the um, some of the videos you can get on deer and deer hunting. Um, um, you know, there's one video out from uh, uh, from a group that actually take blokes out shittle, shittle honey, um, and you'll see, you know, 30, 40, 50 deer in the, in the video. Um, they're just a, a big gregarious animal. There's a big herd of, of chittle deer together. Um, so you're going to see a lot of deer, uh, and the skill as a hunter in that opportunity is to identify the deer that you want. Um, you know, identify the trophy or take the meat animal, that sort of stuff there. So it's just, you know, numbers numbers dictate how many you end up seeing um, generally. But, you know, as I said, there's there's some basic rules around that, isn't there? The gregarious animals will have more together. With salmon and hoggies, you'll tend to see, you know, maybe one or two. Yep, absolutely. Now, let's talk, let's start getting into some of the uh, gear at the moment. Now, I know some people, and I've had friends that have done this, they, you know, they spend all the gear on the, uh, you know, the rifle and the scope and the, the backpack and the boots and... But they don't. They don't have. A, they don't even have a cheap set of binoculars. So how important are sort of, you know, binoculars in moving into an area? And as you said, being able to, let's say you're on a tree line, you come out of the, you know, you might be in the tree line, you, you know, scoping out a nice paddock, very large paddock. Now, how important is binoculars in just sort of, as you said, if you know, say the deer are there, or they're bedding down, that they'll just blend in. You won't see with your eye. How important are the binoculars? Is that one of the most important pieces of gear? Um, yeah, look, I, binoculars serve two purposes for hunting. And I used to hunt without binoculars, so I, I'm coming from someone, that, you know, I, I'm coming from the base of everyone else, you know, I, and that's one of the things I try and stress whenever we, we do our hunter education courses, you know, you, you're starting from a low base, you're not going to have all the gear that us experienced deer hunters have got. Um, but, you, you, you know, you can get some good gear to serve a purpose at, um, at a reasonable price. Binoculars are a very important piece of equipment because they allow you to see the deer before it sees you. Um, you know, and they allow you to look through um, through the bush. You know, you mentioned before about sitting out in the paddock and watching a deer. Um, you know, you can probably see two, three, four hundred metres um, across that open paddock. But a pair of binoculars that allow you to see, probably depending on the type of terrain you're in, maybe 50, depending on maybe even 100 metres inside the bush, depending on what you're looking at. So you can actually see that deer before he steps out in the paddock. So you can get yourself ready. The other thing that binoculars do, they're very safe piece of equipment too. They aid your safety because you can actually look through your binoculars and say, okay, there's a deer and there might be something beyond the deer that you, you know, okay, let's say you fire a shot. You might see a, a car, you might see another person, you might see a house, you might see something else, you might see stock. You know, there might be, a, um, you know, a $1,500 um, cow standing behind the deer. 
you need to be mindful of that. And binoculars are actually really good, safe pieces of equipment that actually allow you to see that sort of stuff. And that's critical to deer hunting, you know, being able to identify the deer too. What if there's two or three deer standing there together and you just see, you know, through the naked eye, well, it looks like a deer there, I'll shoot that one. Um, there's two or three deer. There might be another deer standing in front of the one, the one that you want to shoot, and that's happened. Um, so they're the sort of things. In terms of equipment, <clears throat> probably the, the, the key things you really need as a deer hunter, um, you know, obviously an accurate firearm um, in, a, in, a, in a suitable calibre for the deer species you're hunting. You want a good scope that is, um, you know, transmits the light. You know, you're hunting at dusk and dawn generally, um, so you need a scope. And, and you know, deer tend to not stand out in the middle of a, a sunny paddock all day. So you want to be able to have, you, want, you know, you, you need to be able to see under the dark shadows that the trees cast as well. And that's the advantage of having good quality um, binoculars and scopes so you can actually see that um, and see in under. Um, you know, in terms of clothing, uh, depending on where you hunt, your clothing is very important. Like in Victoria, it's extremely important to have the right gear because the weather can change. You know, but you're hunting those uh, alpine areas in you know, Victoria, New South Wales or even in Tassie. Um, you want to make sure that you've got the right gear so that if the weather does change and turn foul on you, um, that you're not going to be um, exposed to hypothermia. And that's a personal safety issue. Um, you know, you want to have good boots. There's nothing worse than walking around having sore feet all day. I'm certain everyone can, can relate to that story. Um, yeah, a good, a good pair of boots that fit you well, um, a broken in, um, you know, that if you've got bad ankles like me from playing football, um, you know, you want to have your ankle support there as well. You want to make sure they're not too slippery on the sole. You want to make sure that, they, you know, you're not crunching too much stuff around. Everyone knows who, who goes hunting, um, um, who's walking around a bush, you can hear. You know, somebody's walking with big, heavy clod up of boots, and you'll hear them coming from a mile away. And if you can hear them, what, you know, deer or any other animal but far better hearing than, than humans so they're going to hear you coming they're just going to and they'll just walk off they won't run off at a thousand miles an hour they'll just walk off and go okay there's something coming i'm going to get out of the way here um you know cotton's particularly de- uh, a particularly dangerous um fabric to have for hunting um clothing in new south wales and victoria and especially in the winter months because you know it, it can actually suck the heat out of your body but in terms of you know if you're hunting chittle deer in in far north queensland um, you want to be running around a pair of shorts and a cotton shirt just because it's so hot up there. Um, so, the, so it just depends on where you're actually hunting the deer. You know, you want to dress to your occasion. Um, but, you know, in terms of other sort of gear you want to have, you know, you want to have a good sharp knife. Um, you know, that's critical because if you, get, if you get the deer, what are you going to do with it? Um, you need to be able to, you know, cape the head out um, uh, or... or eviscerate the animal, take the insides out and actually get the, the animal out ready for um for the for the table, um, take it back to take back to camp. Um, you know, things like a I mean I never used to hunt with one, but things like a GPS are pretty handy as well. Um, you know, have a torch in your backpack, um, you know, spare batteries, carry a cigarette lighter, a bit of cord. Um, the most important thing you want to actually have with you is your camera as well. because uh, there's no point actually shooting a deer and not having a um not having a camera and, and the best fellow buck I I've got I don't have a photo of me with him in the bush because I didn't have a camera on me. Um, oh, yeah, I love carrying my camera around. It gets, I've got so, the little video up there. I film with it, little HD. You know, you can't go wrong there. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the opportunity you've got. You know, digital cameras have probably been the greatest things ever for, for, for hunters. Um, you know, so they're the sort of things you really want. Um, you know, a backpack, you know, you want to carry water. You want to carry something to eat. I mean, as I said, when I'm hunting sand, I'm out all day. So once I leave camp, I'm not going back to get anything to eat. So I'm carrying whatever I need with me in the backpack all day. You know, I carry, because I hunt with a gun dog, I take a bit of water. I take three litres of water in case, you know, we're in a spot where there's just not creeks. We don't hunt, you know, we might be hunting the tops and there's not 
um, there's not creeks or, or little water holes for her to have a drink out, so I've got to take a bit of water for her and I'll take enough for myself as well. Um, you know, take a bit of food. Um, you know, um, you want a you want probably a, a layering system as well with, with your clothing. You know, I, in winter I tend to wear a wool thermal with a, a fairly thin polar fleece, but if it's going to rain, um, when it is raining, I'll tend to wear a, a waterproof jacket. Um, depending on the nature of the rain, you know, if it's only a bit of light misty stuff, you know, you, you're not really going to worry about that too much because the polar fleece will actually um, that'll just shake off polar fleece. Um, but if it's going to rain fairly heavily um, or have the opportunity to, I'll take a um, take a, a waterproof jacket as well. Um, I always, uh, you know, as I said, I hunt with a, a blaze orange cap on. But if it's cold, I'll put a beanie on. And even if I'm even if I'm walking out of camp in a uh, in a cap, um, I throw the beanie in my backpack just in case it turns really foul. And you know, the beanie obviously keeps the heat in your head. As I said, depending on where you're actually hunting, is depending on what you need to have in your backpack at that time. Um, the basis of it being, you know, in terms of deer hunting, you really want to be self-sufficient. Um, you know, you want to be able to know that if, if everything turns bad, you can survive out in the bush for a night if you need to. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, you want to take some, some matches, a lighter, um, you know, something to actually get the to get a fire going, um, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. So in terms of any sort of gear you're looking at, um, UHF radio is probably pretty handy, isn't it, to, to have in your backpack as well. Um, you, can, you can find someone, hopefully especially in Victoria, I don't know what it's like in sort of uh, Queensland and those sort of areas because I haven't really hunted up in there, but generally you could get somebody on a, on a radio in Victoria somewhere in Victorian high country. Um, in terms of other sort of gear, um, you know, I don't tend to hunt with the sling on my rifle, especially when deer hunting, I take it off. Um, some like something to sling on their rifle, that's just the way they do it, but I don't like to do that um, because of the country I'm in. I tend to like to have, have the gun in my hand at all times. Um, you know, it, it just makes it um, it makes it easier. It's just the type of hunting I do with Samba. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different different types of gear out there. But you know, probably the key the key gear you really want to be going in deer hunting is you want to want to have the right gear, right clothing, so you're safe, um, and you're not going to be exposed to hypothermia or all that sort of stuff. Um, as I said, an excellent pair of boots. You really want a good pair of boots. There's nothing worse than having sore feet. Um, a good pair of binoculars that you can see, like a good range of binoculars, is a good pair of eight by thirties or um, eight by forty-two, something around that sort of um, um, sort of style of binoculars, and a good scope that you can see as well. You know, something that's, uh, um, that can actually go down low enough. Like I use a, on my on my rifle, of deer caliber rifles. I've got two scopes. I've got a two seventy and a three hundred, and I've got a, a Swarovski. Both Swarovskis are mine, but um, one's for um, a one and a half to six by forty-two, which is Samba, because you you tend to be hunting a lot closer. Um, in that sort of habitat, you know, you really most of the deer I shoot are, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100 metres. Whereas on the 270, where I'm shooting fallow deer in open paddocks, that's a, a 4 to 12 by 50 scope. So I, if I need to wind it up for that 2 to 300 metre shot with the 270, I can wind it up and actually shoot the deer there as well. So, and obviously with the 50 mil objective on, uh, you know, hunting low light and last night on fallow deer, fallow deer, that 50 mil objective, um, and you know the Swarovskis as well, but you know 50 mil objective allows all that light to get into the scope, and I can take that shot. I'm um, just on last light, on legal last hunting light. That's the funny thing, uh, like it, me getting sort of you know into the industry and buying a high caliber rifle. You know, I'm you know it's funny how you, when you get into certain things, you 
you know, like I've made a few mistakes with a few gear that I've bought, you know, mainly in regards to scopes, you know, and the, as the objective, like as in, you know, he said 50 mil low light now, you know, some of my, like I've actually bought a 7 mil 08 ticket T3 light, um, you know, and I, and I put a, what did I put on it? I think it was a Bushnell 6500. It was a, uh, six and a half to 24 by 40 now it's just massive now when i thought about it now i thought why on you know this was never going to be a bench resting rifle why on earth did i buy something so high powered you know but i'm thinking about you know changing those out as you said it's either you know a four to 12 or even back to a three to nine you know i don't mind that one because as you said you know that one i'll mainly be hunting during the day so the objective is not really like you know the 40 or 50 is not really just going to be an issue you know but um you know as you said hunting on some of those low light why did i buy a 24 power scope i keep thinking i'm thinking but i'm probably going to change that one out for is it a three to nine or a you know by 50 as it says you said for those low light situations but i guess uh, you know with experience and with knowledge and new experience comes uh you know you realize sort of where you went, went wrong but i guess that gets to my next question as you said you were talking about firearms that's getting some juicy stuff too people said um you know what what's appropriate to hunt uh deer with what caliber firearm as you said what's uh what's steve using which i think you just discussed before um what's what's the lowest you you know you'd honestly go for you know as you said the samba can be quite big you know is it better to get something really accurate in bold action or you know lever action well just give us a bit of a rundown of, of, of the firearms yeah look in terms of firearms for deer depending again depending on the species you're hunting is depending on the caliber you, you select you know if you're looking at uh, hunting hog deer um, and it also depends on what's available for you. Um, if I was uh, suggesting to a new bike getting into deer hunting, um, you want something, and especially if they're in Victoria, but you know, depending on what other state they're in as well, you're looking something that uh, the first thing you want to do is, is get something that is um, relatively cheap to get ammo for. Because if you're if you haven't um, shot a uh, you know a, a larger centre fire calibre firearm in the past. Um, you really need to start to become proficient in, in, in how to use that firearm. So something in the in the mould of a um, 270, .308, .30 is good. And I'll, I'll say in Victoria that's good because they're all legal samba calibers. If you're into other areas where you're hunting mainly fallow and reds, um, you know, you're probably looking at, um, you know, a 2506s or 257 Robertsons or something of that sort of ilk there. You know, they're all good, good sort of um, mid-range calibers there as well. Um, uh, you need a, you know, a, obviously with the, the regulations that we have in, a, in Australia now on firearms, it prohibits us using um, semi-automatics for for hunting. Um, I still reckon the best um, the best samba hunting rifle is the old Browning Bar semi-auto with five shots in it. Um, very very handy samba hunting caliber, you know, very samba hunting rifle. There was, a, you know, um, there was piles and piles of them handed in back in '96 from uh, Victorian deer hunters. Um, you know, and deer hunters across the country. Um, in terms of what we have available these days, um, I personally think a good bolt-action rifle you can't go wrong with. Um, you know, one where you can cycle it quite quickly, um, that it is an accurate firearm. The most important, you know, um, I think it was Wyatt Earp said, you know, speed's fine, but accuracy's fatal, and that's the key thing with your firearm. Um, do you need to squeeze out, you know, most blokes when they're starting out aren't going to get into hand-loading, but... You know, some likes talk about squeezing an extra 200 feet per second out of their of their bullet. Um, you know, I'd rather personally, I'd rather a bullet that I know that I can hit you know, a 20 set bit at 100 metres every time out of my firearm, um, because that's the thing that's going to kill you the deer, get you the deer um, every time. So you know, a good bolt action rifle. Um, some blokes, particularly in Victoria, with the uh, the blokes who hunt over centralling hounds, they like the pump guns. Um, you know, the Remington, uh, the Remingtons or 
or the Brownings, they like those. A few people like the like the lever actions. I know a few guys that are lefties, so they like a lever action gun as well. Mm. Um, the forty five seventy, I heard people are using now too. Yeah, people. Well, forty five seventy's had a long following in Victoria for, from hound hunters. You know, blokes who hunt sandy with scent trailing hounds. Um, you know, had a long history of that. Um, you know, but it just depends. But as I said, you know, you get a good, accurate rifle. Um, you know, we we are limited in what we can actually get these days. But a good, accurate bolt action, you can't really go wrong. You know, you put a good um, a good scope on it. Um, you know, good strong mounts on it as well. You know, make sure that it's not going to get knocked out of alignment too easily because you, you're going to drop your rifle when you go deer hunting. Um, that's just what's going to happen. Um, and, and that's the sort of stuff you really want to be going in terms of actual calibers. Um, you know, with with hog deer. You know, you can get away with a 243 or, you know, some of those smaller type centrifies. The minimum calibre for hog deer is a 243 with a, uh, in Victoria, I think it's an 85 grain pill um, uh, coming out of it. Um, Samba is a minimum um, 270 um, with a 130 grain pill coming out of that. Um, but, you know, for most blokes um, in Victoria, I would suggest they get a 3006. Um, 270, 306, 308, they're probably the three better ones to start with. And once people start to get into it, then they'll start to realise, okay, well, what sort of um, calibre do I need? Um, and that's, you know, I, I, my my gun safe has got, um, um, it's got, a, you know, everyone's got their little 22 on the shotgun. Um, then I've got a triple two, which I use on foxes and goats and that sort of stuff. Um, and then I've got the 270, which is my first in the deer rifles, which I use on fallow and hoggies. Um, uh, and those sort of those sort of uh, species, and then I've got a 300 Winchester Magnum, which I which I'll predominantly use on the Samba. Um, and then there's other blokes I know that hunt deer, hunt Samba with a with a 35 Wheelan or a 338. Um, some blokes even go up to a 458 Winchester Magnum or a 375 H&H. Oh, and the reason, I mean, a lot they're of, big and tough, though, Samba, aren't they? Here, they're well, big and tough. The issue is not so much how big and tough they are, because I've shot probably, um, I would have shot 20 sample with a 270 and 150 grain pill out of that. Um, but but the, the objective with Samba is, is to try and put them down on the spot where you see them, because they only have to run 10 metres and the bush can swallow them up very quickly. So that's why blokes tend to use those bigger calibres, because you know, they see the deer standing, they shoot the deer and it goes straight down on the ground. Mind you, in saying that, there's been plenty of Samba shot with a 458 that have run 200 metres as well. Um, you know, it's just that's just the, the nature of the beast with the deer and deer hunting. Um, I've seen plenty of them drop on the spot with a 270. Again, um, there's plenty of skilled deer hunters out there that know it's not just about shooting at the deer, you've got to shoot at the spot on the deer where you want to hit it, and, and that's part of being a good marksman, knowing your firearm, knowing its accuracy, being able to judge distance, and also being able to judge when you should and shouldn't take a shot as well. Um, but the skill, you know, the, the type of firearm you have and, and the way it fits you and the way it handles, um, you know, uh, the, the safety. Safety is a very important thing on a firearm. You know, does the safety work effectively? Um, all those sort of things are what you really want to be looking for on a firearm as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to think, you know, a good bolt-action rifle with a good scope on it um, in a suitable calibre, um, pick a suitable bullet, you know, a good um, bonded core bullet for deer hunting, um, that's going to expand properly and, and, and go through and do as much damage when you actually hit the deer as possible, um, you'll get, you, you know, you, you start putting all those things together and get something that works well for you, You'll start, and, and then obviously you start finding and, and, and shooting a few deer, um, you'll end up starting to take a lot of deer, and that's, that's probably the key thing that we all try and, um, you know, pass, you know, anyone who's experienced deer hunter tends to try and pass on to the new guys coming through. Yeah, what's the, you said talking about shot placement, you know, I mean obviously now it's going to depend on whether you're taking the, 
you know, the head or, the, or, or you know, whether it's for meat and that. So, like, what what areas are we waiting for? Are we waiting for, you know, broadside shots, shoulder shots, you know, I mean, like, head or neck? What are we, you know, if someone's new getting into it, what's, where would you say the first point of, uh, you know, aiming for a deer would be? Um, the best place to get a deer is in the boiler room. You know, you, if you take out that central um, heart-lung area, um, you're going to get the deer more often than not. And that's the thing you need to be sort of focusing on. Deer, um, you know, you often hear, um, you know, the animal livers and RSPCA and all that sort of stuff saying it's inhumane not to shoot a, an animal in the head. Well, you look at the, the, the anatomy of a deer, they've got a very long neck, a fairly small head and an even smaller brain in that head. Um, and you're trying to put a, and it's a very mobile head, you know, you never really, if you ever get the opportunity to sit and watch deer, even in the deer farm, just watch how they move. They very rarely keep their head still that often for that long. You know, they're always looking around moving. It's very difficult to actually shoot a deer successfully in the head. There's a lot of deer hunters out there that have actually said, um, you know, they've tried to shoot a deer in the head and they've, ditched, you know, they've been a half inch off or, or a little bit off and they've wounded the deer and they, they regret it ever since. Um, most deer hunters will always try and hit that deer in, in the you know the heart lung region. Um, a broadside shot is probably the most optimal if you can get it. Um, but if you if you should know the anatomy of your deer, you know take the time to to get out and look at the various things. You know the internet's a great thing these days. You can actually find a lot of stuff on there on on the anatomy of an animal. You know if someone actually takes a deer, start to actually look at the anatomy of an animal yourself. Um, and, and the anatomy of all those you know goats, pigs, deer, you know it's all pretty similar in a way. Um, but you really want to be making sure you hit it in the boiler room, and if if you do, uh, you know nine times out of ten you're gonna you know you're gonna get that deer. Um, it's gonna pile up within you know probably on the spot, or it's actually gonna pile up within a hundred meters, um, and leave a fairly hopefully a fairly good blood trail um, if you use a good bullet and you hit it in the right area. But it's um, you know you really want to avoid just throwing the gun up, seeing deer in the scope and pulling the trigger. You want to look for that point of the shoulder. Um, uh, Peter Burke, former Victorian state president. He advocates getting a uh, getting a, a magazine, you know, like a deer hunting magazine, um, and a pencil um, or a pen, and just pointing on the spot on the deer where you in that magazine. Open the page and, and quickly point to the spot on the deer where you think you're going to shoot it. And you're training your brain, even though you're not using the gun, you're training your brain to look look at the spot on the deer where you want to shoot that deer and where you want to put the bullet, um, because a lot of deer get lost in in Australia because people, um, especially the new guys, um, but even can experience deer hunters as well, will do it. They'll throw the gun up and they'll just see a bit of deer and go bang. Um, and it's particularly you know, on those big big species of deer where they're big, you know, big and brown. Samba are probably the best ones, but rooster would probably be similar as well. You just see a big patch of brown, okay, that's where it is, bang. Uh, unfortunately, you might hit a bit too far back. Um, uh, and then you can actually you know, you'll lose the deer and the deer will go away and die. Uh, and not a very good death, basically. Um, so you need to be mindful and train your brain to where you want to hit that deer. And it's also, people need to be calm when, they, when they're shooting deer. And I know that's easy thing to say because um, I've shot a few deer, but I know I wasn't very calm in the early days. Um, but you have a bit of time. Take that little bit of time to actually, you know, take a couple of deep breaths if you've got the opportunity, especially if the deer's just walking slowly. A couple of deep breaths, focus your energies, and then pull the trigger. Um, identify where you want to hit the bullet on the deer, put the bullet in the deer, and then slowly pull the trigger. And again, that comes back to being comfortable with your rifle as well. Um, it's like a golfer with his golf clubs. When he picks up X club, he goes bang, and he knows how he's going to hit it, and he knows where the ball's going to go. You need to be able to do the same with your rifle. Um, you know, um, Our national president, Bob Goff, advocates um, 
um, you know, he goes to the rifle range regularly um, where he is in, in Albury Wodonga. Um, you know, he says he'll go out and he'll fire 50 shots out of his centerfire rifle, but he'll fire 500 shots out of his 22. You know, um, at the same time, he goes out and he, sh- he shoots his 22 caliber firearm regularly. So that that teaches him. It's obviously costs a lot less, but it's the same methodology, and it's the same with any sport. You look at any sport. People go and you play footy for two hours on a Saturday um, or a Sunday, um, but you train for about probably 10, 12 hours during the week. Um, over two or three different days, you train your skills, and that's what that's pretty important in deer hunting as well. You know, marksmanship is a very important part of hunting, um, and, and most deer hunters, because of the nature of deer hunting, are not shooting a lot of things regularly. Um, so you need to have find an opportunity to to go out and shoot your firearm, um, your deer caliber firearm, and also the 22 or, or another caliber firearm. Go and do another sort of hunting and shoot that more regularly as well, so that your 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 marksmanship skills are very very good. Yeah, just talk about just before we sort of got a couple more questions before we finish off. But let's talk about say you know a new person or even you know an intermediate hunter you know who goes in the bush. Let's say they may not have you know they may not have shot a deer yet, and obviously they get a deer now. Without being, is it important to do say if they want to take them you know the uh, animal or the deer, whichever specific species for meat? Now I know sometimes with myself like rabbits, you know I've done the odd goat. I mean I know they you know they eat a lot of grass, so they stink to high heaven and that and. Sometimes with the goats, I just get the you know the back straps, the back legs, the front legs, and basically be done with it. Sometimes I don't even you know gut it out. It just depends on where I am. You know, as you said, temperature, how hot it is, and all that sort of stuff. So if someone doesn't you know just a hunter, you know they want they want the meat, and they don't want to waste the animal after they've shot it, and it's not a trophy. You know, without them being overwhelmed, because I mean, as you can understand, a bigger animal, bigger you know digestive tract, bigger you know bigger area to gut, especially in the in the guts to sort of gut out without overwhelming them and sort of freaking them out and you know how what's the best way they could say what would be some of the best cuts of meat would it be first of all you say would it be important to say do a course on how to on how to take meat cuts that's the first question i guess and the second one would be without overwhelming them what would be the easiest sort of method where people would instead of just you know shooting the deer and it's not a trophy and just leaving it there they want to take it without overwhelming and what are some of the best cuts to sort of take and you know especially if they've got a cut you know a deer to you know the cuts two or three kilometers back to the vehicle yeah, well, obviously, Sam, you're never going to get out of the bush hole unless you're shooting it within, um, you know, 50 metres um, and you've got half a dozen blokes to help you carry it out because they're just such a big animal. Uh, and there's probably other deer species that are, you know, reds are probably, you can get quite big reds as well. Um, look, the, the the key stuff to, I don't know, the Australian Deer Association has a... Um, has a, a DVD that we've produced that actually teaches blokes how to do that sort of stuff because not everyone's going to be able to get to a course. Um, but I know that most of our branches try and do at least one or two a year opportunities where we get a deer in and we show people how to cut up a deer. Um, with the with the bigger deer species, you're just going to have to cut the deer up to get it out of the bush. Um, you know, you need to learn how to actually take the back leg off the deer, how to take the uh, take all the fillets out. Um, you don't necessarily need to gut the whole animal. Take the, you know, uh, I think the technical term is eviscerate the animal um, to actually take the guts out to actually um, to get the, the, the deer out of the bush. Um, you can take the front legs off, the back legs off, the back straps out, and you can even take the uh, the eye fillets out in, from inside without actually having to take the guts out of the animal. Um, the other thing is too is if it is a trophy, you need to learn how to cape the animal out as well, so that you can actually have that. You know, everyone's walked into a house or or into a, into a pub somewhere and seen a magnificent deer trophy up on the wall, and you think, oh, geez, I want one of them one day. Um, you need to be able to learn how to cape the animal out. Again, we've produced a DVD. Australian Deer Association has produced a DVD 
um, to teach the blokes how to do that. And again, we try and do that through our hunter education courses, through our branch meetings, all that sort of stuff, um, uh, to, to, to teach blokes how to do that so that when they get that opportunity um, to take a trophy animal or to take a meat animal, that they know what they're doing. So they're not wasting meat, they're not ruining the cake, and they have the, the best possible opportunity to, to, to have what they want, you know, which is it's good quality meat or a great trophy on the wall. Um, the other thing, in it, and one of the lucky things that I had when I was uh, first moved over to Victoria, um, I hunted with uh, Robert Bingham's hound crew, um, and the hound crew, you know, we got a deer most weekends. Um, one of the things I did was make sure that I um, was there helping the blokes cut the deer up. Um, you know, you start to, to go on, on you know, 10 or 20 hunts and you're starting to cut up deer on a regular basis. You know, you get I asked the blokes, oh, can I cut the deer up? They said, yeah, okay. So they were there coaching me on how to do that. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, if I take a young bloke out with me, I, I took a bloke out a couple of years back and he shot his first deer. I said, okay cut it up and he goes, what do I do? I said, well, start him, grab your knife out and I basically coached him through the process. Um, you know, and that's the sort of stuff, you know, if you're starting to hunt with, if there's two young blokes or two new deer hunters getting together and they haven't really done much of that stuff in the past, um, you know, you're really going to be up against it. But, you know, experienced deer hunters, experienced hunters will, will generally give the knife to someone and say, here, you do this and I'll coach you through it. Uh, and that's the value of a, you know of an association like the Australian Deer Association and hunting with you know hunting with the experienced guys as well. You know, at our, as I said, at our branch meetings, we try and generally have at least one opportunity a year where we can uh, we either get a butcher along or we get someone who's you know, very skilled in deer hunting and explain to people and show them the, and walk them through the steps of how to actually cut up a deer. Uh, at the Wild Deer and Hunting Adventures Expo in Bendigo this year, we, that was the, the premise of our stand there. We had, uh, we had three deer for the weekend and we were teaching people, you know, we are doing big demonstrations on how to cut up a deer, how to cape a deer. Um, and we were, you know, they were about four or five deep um, because people are actually interested in that. And the art of butchery is, you know, butchering an animal is, is a lost art because we're all such city-based people now. Um, uh, I work in it. I mean, I work at a large corporate bank in the middle of Melbourne and everyone knows I go hunting and they go, well, what do you do with it when you shoot? I go, cut it up, carry it out, put it in the freezer and eat it. And they go, oh, well, how do you do that? You know, and, and, and generally it's a question about how do you do that? It's not generally a, ooh, I don't think I'd like that. Um, you know, or people go, well, it's probably not for me. But yeah, I, you know, it's interesting that you can actually do that. You know, like somebody actually that, that you know, um, especially in a corporate environment, somebody you know has the skills to go out, find an animal, kill it, butcher it, get it back and put it on the table um, that makes it fit for eating. I mean, that's just a, it's a lost art form in society. It is, isn't it? Sometimes I think, when I was out there, too, I think some people, you know, like shooting probably would be, you know, and finding them may be the easy part when you think about it, especially, as I said, if you get two newbies out there, you know, and I, I'd call myself one of those too. So, you know, I'm getting better at, you know, the goats and stuff like that. But then after I did like a few Gs, the, you know, the goats stink to high heaven. So not really an issue for me. I don't really bother about it. But I just thought, oh, there's got to be an easy way. Then, you know, just get a, you know, some of these goats were, they weren't, they weren't, you know, they weren't some of the old smelly ones. But, you know, there were some decent meat goats. So I thought, oh, I need to start getting these off. And what's the easiest option within reason to get these cuts off to bring them home? And, you know, that's that's tough. You know, it's good if you've got someone coaching you there. So I'd, I'd probably, as you probably would too, recommend, you know, a couple of DVDs to people to, you know, learn learn how to do that because, you know, you don't want to be, you know, just sawing them off, sawing their legs off, you know. I mean, I guess that's the only option at the time and you don't want to leave it there. Well, that's the only option you've got, you know. But, you know, if you really want to get good at it, you know, and I like to get the back straps out and, as you said, get a good sharp knife and, 
you know, it's really, it is an important skill. And that's one, actually one that interests me a lot. You know, when I thought I should do rabbits, and I thought, oh yeah, I got better at rabbits. And I thought, oh, this is basic. But it did even a little bit me being a city boy, you know, like of Western Sydney, it did, it did at first when I filmed the first goat and then I first got it out and woo, yeah, this one stinks to high heaven. And I, I mean, I'm pretty, I, I don't spew or anything like that, but I can imagine if I took a few people that I know with me, man, they wouldn't, oh, geez, they wouldn't last at all. They'd, they would have seen that and game over. So, you know, it can be quite daunting for people, especially with the larger animals, with the larger, you know, the larger guts and that, you know, it can be quite off-putting even for the mo- even for someone that's, you know, that, you know, has no problem, say, doing smaller game, you know, it just can be overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, look at in terms of um, in terms of learning to, um, to to butcher an animal, you probably pick the wrong ones to start with, being goats, because I know they're a really smelly animal from from my experience with them. Deer don't smell anywhere near as bad as goats. Um, the worst the worst thing you have when you're hunting deer and um, is those those deer species that wallow, you know, reds um, and samba. I think um, I think rooster wallow a bit as well. Um, is when they just walked out of the wallow covered in mud and urine because they all they all um, they all uh, urinate in the water and all over themselves and you just shot the deer as it walked out of that and then you've got mud all over the animal so you know the, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that um, um, you know there, there's mud everywhere you've got to be mindful of the meat um, you might have to be mindful of the of the trophy you know if it's a trophy animal you've got all mud throughout the hair. Um, you know that's the worst experience in deer hunting you're going to have. You're going to have. But generally, deer, in terms of in terms of animals that smell, you know, sheep smell worse than deer. Generally, um, deer deer actually don't smell that bad. Um, so you know, gutting an animal, gutting a deer is not that bad at all. Um, and and cutting up a deer, you're not really going to have that sort of um, you know that, that sort of goat-like experience. Um, or, and I've never, I can't say, I've, I've never shot pigs, so I don't know what it's like to actually do a pig. Um, I can't imagine that actually be that great, but um, I might have to find out one day. But in terms of deer, in terms of deer and deer meat, um, you know, it's not it's not a it's not a bad smell at all. It's very easy to do. I mean, the, but the big thing you have to deal with deer is depending on the species you hunt, you have to get over the size of the animal, and you've got to work out how to deal with it. And of course. And of course, you know it's not easy. You're not going to, you're not going to hoik a, a, you know, nearly a 250 kilo sander into a tree to actually do it like you would at a um, at a butcher shop or in an abattoir. You've got to learn to do it on the ground, and, and depending on the ground you're actually doing it on, it, it's certainly, you know, I can pretty much guarantee it's generally not going to be flat. Um, uh, and then you've got to deal with all the logs. You might have to move the animal. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff you have to deal with, and you've got to get it out. Um, you know, I remember one day. Um, I, I accidentally, I, I went out hunting for meat, and I shot, um, I shot two samba, and I didn't want to shoot two samba. I shot one, and one went behind those big white gums you get in the Victorian high country, and dropped down. Another one ran out from behind. I thought, oh, I must have missed you, so I gave the next one another one, and then I realised, oh, hang on a minute, I've got two deer here. Well, they were both on the deck at 9:30, and I didn't get back to camp until 8 o'clock that night, until I carted out both deer. Um, you know, so you can understand. Bloody fitness might pay a key too to the deer hunters. Hey, get out there and you know, just get on the treadmill, eh, and start <laughs> make sure you're like like me. You're not carrying that much weight. Fitness is a very important thing in deer hunting, um, in my opinion. Um, you know, you you, you want to be um, you want to be able to get up and down those hills because it, you know it is. As I said, you're out all day. Um, sometimes you're climbing up um, big hills. Uh, I know. Um, uh, we did a uh, we did a training course for the bush search and rescue on deer hunters uh, and deer hunting, um, just to to get them an understanding of where deer hunters go. And one of our guys put a uh, GPS in his backpack and logged it. Um, well, he was out for a whole day and he did 16 kilometres. So you know, ask yourself if you're getting into deer hunting, how often do you walk 16 kilometres? 
you know, and that's not that's that's samba hunting, and not everyone's going to do that. Um, but you know, the more you get into it, and the more you enjoy it, the, the, the longer you're going to work. You know, generally, the longer you're going to walk for it. Um, and fitness is pretty fitness is pretty important anyway, just in, in general society. But it's a uh, it's a very good way to get your fitness up. I, I always used to go to for a deer hunt before I started you know, pre-season football training. I reckon I'd lose two or three kilos, if not more. Um, just because I'm walking, and you're not walking at 100 miles an hour, it's just slow, methodical walking in the bush, but you do that all day, every day, and you're burning up the energy, um, the excess energy, and it's, uh, um, you know, you're walking up and down hills, um, stepping over logs, over rocks, all that sort of stuff, and it's really good fitness as well, you know. Um, majority of, you know, one of the things you, we we, um, we always stress to new deer hunters um, as they come in, you know, the majority of your deer hunting is just armed bushwalking because you're not going out firing shots off every day. Uh, and if we go back to, you know, you comments about getting access to, to national park hunting, um, the majority of people who go into a national park uh, in Victoria where there is you know, licensed and available deer hunting would be lucky to hear one shot a day. You know, you just, you just don't hear that many shots in deer hunting. And in fact, you don't have that many shots in deer hunting. Um, you know, a good example of, of how many shots you have in deer hunting. I shot five... Uh, five deer last year and had eight shots, you know, out of my deer. Well, unless you know the gun's going to last your whole life, it's not going to burn out, is it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, obviously, I'll fire a few shots at the range, but, you know, that's that's if you're a good, skilled deer hunter um, and, and, you know, you build your skill, skills up over time, um, you know, you see a deer, you know where your rifle's printing, you go, bang, one shot, that's it, and that's a good day, you know. Um, then you realise, OK, well, I've got to get this deer out now, um, now the hard work begins. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And you know, then you got to carry out. You know, let's say an average back leg of a sander stag is 45 kilos, so you got to get one of them out at a time. Um, you know, a fellow, a fellow hind, um, a fellow doe, sorry, would she be, you know, 45, 50 kilos? So you need to get her out of, out of the bush. Um, you could probably do that whole. Um, you know, so that's that's the sort of stuff you're looking at too. So you know, again, fitness is important. Um, you know, you've got to walk it out. Um, if you're lucky enough to be hunting farm fringe, you might be able to get the car up and just throw it straight in the back. Um, but I know a lot of the, a lot of the hunting I do in Victoria with Samba, it's um, you know you shoot the deer and then you okay, well then I've got to work out how I'm going to get this thing out. Exactly. All right. So I forgot to mention one question before. I was going to say how important you said over the wallows and that is setting up uh, game cameras. Do you do that yourself? Is that something you know that that's uh, applicable to hunting? I mean, seeing seeing if there is. What type of species are in there? When they're coming there? How they're coming there? What times of day they're coming there? Is that important? Look, it, it's not important um, in terms of hunting. And like the, the more you um, the more you hunt deer, the more you learn to read the sign and work out what's actually happening. Um, uh, but you know, game cameras have been exceptionally valuable for hunters um, because it's allowed good, keen deer people to actually start to get a, a bit more information about the deer when they're not in the field. Um, and a lot of the guys actually are doing it. And one of the guys in Victoria, Doug Reed, he's he's doing a lot of the stuff with trail cameras, um, and he sort of pioneered a bit of it. And there's a lot of guys sort of following in his footsteps now. Um, you know, Doug's really interested in deer. You know, he's not using the cameras to find out where the deer are so he can go and shoot the deer. He's just interested in deer. He's interested in what what are the deer doing in those wallows? How do they wallow? What happens when they wallow? What are the times of the day do they wallow? Um, and and of course, rub trees. Rub trees can be a bit indiscriminate, um, but in particular with Samba, um, uh, you know, a wallow is basically a focal point for Samba. All the, all the Samba in an area will walk to a, a wallow at some stage because they, it's where the scent is all left. 
So there'll be you know, wallows and preach trees around there uh, and scent marking. So they all come through there and they go, okay, well, I'll be able to smell what deer are running around in here. Um, uh, and if you walk up to a wallow that doesn't have any uh, riddle, that real muddy water or that sort of stuff, you know the wallow hasn't been used, so there's probably not too many deer in the area. Um, you know, obviously wallows in soft mud, they're going to attract the foot, you know, the footmarks of the deer. So you're going to be able to see if there's any deer been around for a while. You know, you've had a bit of rain on it, a bit of sun on it. Okay, they're old marks. You know, again, comes back to your skills as a hunter, being able to work out uh, where the deer are moving, how to read sign, what age the sign as well. You know, how how old is that track? How old are those droppings? Um, uh, but wallows are really critical, and that's why um, uh, you know, uh, Doug and a lot of the guys are actually starting to put. Um, um, trail cameras and game cameras are, are across the uh, across the wallows. It just gives them an idea of what deer are in the area and what they're doing. You know, it's all it's all helping our knowledge and, and learn about deer. Um, of course, you know, don't forget the, the the game cameras are only telling you what the deer is doing after the fact. Um, you know, it doesn't actually tell you where the deer are at any given time um, during days. You know, that's um, so you go in and pick up your game camera and, and see. You know, there might be 600 photos of deer on it. Um, but the deer might have moved out of that area, you know. Um, they might have changed elevation. They might have eaten all the food in that particular area, or they might, you know, because of the weather or something, the snow, you know, the snow might have pushed them lower, or the heat might have pushed them into another cooler, shadier area. Um, that allows, you know, that's that's the sort of stuff you're looking at. So, but it does, you know, as I said, game cameras give us a really good insight into what deer are doing. Absolutely. So I guess, given say, you know, maybe a lot of people listen to my podcast. Say, you know, they might vary in their experience of hunting deer. And, you, know, this, you know, new people are going to get a lot out of it, probably well as experience. Just say, you know, to finish off in a, in a sec, what's, say, one, just one piece of advice? I mean, we've obviously already addressed safety. I'm talking more deer hunting. What's that one piece of advice out of everything we've spoken about that someone could, you know, uh, take on board to either, you know, start deer hunting? And just, just one piece of advice that you think would be the most critical. Uh, probably the most critical is, is to uh, associate with other deer hunters. Um, the best way to do that is to, is to join an organisation that is, is focused on deer and deer hunting. Um, you know, uh, somebody, if you join up with an association, you're going to get access to people who you're going to be able to talk to um, and, and ask questions about deer and deer hunting, and that's probably the key thing. Um, I can't stress enough, you know, you've got books and the internet and all that sort of stuff, and that's really valuable at the moment, but just... Um, um, you know, being able to to be in a room with a group of people, and you know, we, our hunter Victoria hunter education course is on next weekend, and and the selling point for that, you know, a lot of people can get the same information from the internet, um, or from a book, all that sort of stuff, but the main selling point is the fact that there's going to be 30 experienced deer hunters in there, um, that all these new guys that are interested in deer and deer hunting are going to get the chance to talk to, you know, um, and they're going to get the chance to ask a question. You know, we've talked a lot about deer hunting here today. Uh, it's been a great opportunity to be able to, to espouse the, the, the great um, thing that is deer hunting in Australia. But, um, you know, this is, I could sit around a campfire with you for another five hours, Jason, and we could talk deer hunting all night. And and, <laughs> and that's, that's just what we could do. Um, exactly. And, and that's, that's the value of being able to be around an association of deer hunters and deer hunting. Um, and and, and that's, that's where you're going to learn. And obviously from that, um, you know, get out into the field as well. You know, you, and they, they go like hand in glove. You can't. You're not going to shoot deer sitting behind a computer. You need to get out in the field. And obviously, if you if you, if you get into an association, you know, you, and you look to put it, put something back into that association as well. You know, get yourself known in it. 
Um, you know, that's how I got into the Australian Jewish Association. I offered, I offered my skills as um, you know, doing what I do at work. I offered to do the, um, the newsletter at the Melbourne branch, um, Melbourne branch, because they needed someone to sort of help out in that sort of in that sort of field. So I just offered to put all the, the newsletter together on the computer. Um, yeah, and then I started to associate with, with deer hunters a lot more. And obviously, I had a background in deer hunting, but I, I didn't have a background in salmon hunting. Um, so you know, once you start to do that, um, you can end up. Uh, you know, start to socialise with a few people. I got the opportunity to go hunting with these people, got the opportunity to talk to you hunting with these people that were a lot more experienced than me. Um, and, and that's how you build your knowledge. And it's, it's a really good opportunity. And most deer hunters are pretty good blokes. Um, to, you know, they're quite happy to share their information with you these days. There's that many deer out there now. People aren't that protective of, um, you know, everyone knows there's deer somewhere. Everyone will be protective of where there's a big stag. Everyone wants to deck that themselves. But in terms of getting it, well, in terms of giving a bloke an opportunity to go out and hunt deer, Fair chase um, in Australia. Um, there's plenty of opportunities, and most people are quite happy to actually give blokes the information they need these days to do that. One quick side question, I guess: um, Would you say more people that go out hunting would be after meat or after trophies? What What do you What do you think? Just quickly on, you know, they reckon about 50% be after meat, 50% after that big stag, or the, I mean, obviously the bull experience guys, are they just after that next, you know, that next big trophy. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's what are they What are they after? Do you think most of the time? I would say 90, 95% of deer hunters um, are into meat hunting. You know, they, they want they want the meat first. Um, but 100% of deer hunters are into trophy hunting if it jumps up in front of them. Um, you know, there's not there's not a deer hunter out there that won't dong a big stag right. um, if he's standing there in front of them. Um, but you know, the majority of us go out to hunt um, to to take some meat to the table generally, first because that's that's the trophy. You know, we talk about trophies in deer hunting. Anyone who's actually had um, a really nice meal of venison um, knows that that's where the trophy is. If you, if you go deer hunting, look at deer hunting um, and you say, I'm a trophy hunter, look at what the trophy is. The meat is a trophy as well. And if you're going out hunting deer, you've got a, an opportunity to take a trophy every time you go deer hunting if you're focused on meat. You're not going to shoot a 30-inch salmon or a, or a 300, 300 Douglas score red deer or 30-inch or, or rooster every time that you go deer hunting. It's just not possible. But what is possible is you can go out and get a great food of venison. Um, and, and, to, and to protect the future of deer hunting, we need to get blokes out there shooting more females. You know, you need to, um, you know, if deer herds get um, greater in number, um, you're going to start to see, and people are probably already hearing about it now, you're going to start to hear the calls for deer to be either listed as pests or you're going to have professional shooters involved. Um, you'll start to see poisons, God knows whatever else in there, and that will just start decimating your deer herds and your deer hunting opportunities. So the best way to deal with that is to say, okay, um, I'm going to go out and start hunting meat, and, and, and the opportunity to hunt meat, you know, go and take a female for meat. Um, you know, the females tend to eat better than the stags anyway, um, especially as the older, older the stag gets, um, you know, but, but go and take that female for meat. Um, and then you've got a perfectly great trophy. And don't forget, the more deer you shoot, the more deer you cook, the better you get at it, um, and the better meals that your wife or girlfriend is, is able to cook for you. It's just magnificent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's true. All right, mate, fin- t- two questions ago. Um, I guess this is probably going to both of them. First one, I guess, is, mate, tell us a story, you know, just a quick story, maybe, you know, a personal accomplishment, one of your best hunts. Hey, maybe even one of your most embarrassing hunts where you had that big uh, samba that you might have, you know, thought you are going to sneak in on. Totally winded you and you lost it. I don't know. You can pick whatever story you like. And then I guess to finish off after that, I guess if people wanted to contact, you know, the Deer Association, maybe send you an email, they want to join, they want to get your DVDs, the website, um, you know, 
Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, what it, uh, give me all, give us give us all the information on where people can actually go uh, and join, where they where where, where, you know, where you guys meet, uh, and if they want to start talking deer hunting. So first off, tell us a story, mate. Give me give me one of your best stories. I want to hear something exciting. <laughs> Probably my most uh, probably my most memorable hunt is actually the first hunt time I ever went hunting um, Sandra in Victoria. I was still living in Tasmania at the time, and I got uh, the chance to come and hunt with some guys that uh, had uh, been coming down to Tassie ever since I was a young tacker. Um, and I'd started hunting with them whenever they came over for the opening of fallow deer season. Um, so um, I was able to go hunting with uh, Robert Bingham's uh, uh, hound crew, um, and we were hunting Samba over Centralia hounds, which in, in those days was um, was foxhounds. Um, so we we ended up uh, you know walking in and you know, driving up camping in the middle of the night on the side of the road, which you know was a, um, a bit unusual for me because I was used to the creature comforts of a tent in farmland in our farm fringe areas. Um, we uh, you know got up in the morning, got breakfast ready, and and uh, driving around looking for marks. And I was unfamiliar with how to hunt with Centralia hounds. Um, so then we we found some marks and we walked some walked some dogs in. And I had I'd never really seen foxhounds at that stage anyway. Um, so I ended up uh, walking in with these dogs that were pulling the arm pulling my arm out of the socket. Um, and then yeah, someone said, okay, we've got something fresh here. Let's let the dogs go. And I didn't know exactly what was going. I'd never heard never heard a hound in action at all really. Um, and my mate said, yeah, walked me into a saddle and said, uh, stand there, don't move. So I stood there for um, you know a couple of hours and. I had the radio with me and a couple of dogs were running around me and a couple were barking and I said, I've got on the radio. I said, what's going on here? He goes, I just stay there. He said, they're trying to work out the scent. So all of a sudden, um, these dogs started, took off at a thousand miles an hour and started baying at the top of their head. And I said, well, okay, then the hair's on the back of the next stab to hang out. I said, well, okay, here we go. What's happening here? Um, you know, listening to the talk on the radio from the guys and someone was saying, okay, it's coming down to that saddle. So the guys um, got on the radio and said, Steve, that deer's going to come through where you are shortly. Just listen to the dogs and get in front of the dogs so you can um, so you can hear, so you can see the deer. So I didn't know what that meant, so I walked down about 10 metres and found a nice little open area. I had no idea what was going on, but I could hear these dogs getting louder and louder. And then the hairs came up on the back of my neck, and I thought, oh, God, something's going to happen here. Next thing you know, I could just start to see some, a bit of movement. There's this big brown thing coming through the trees. So I threw up the rifle, it was a uh, it was about an 18 inch Samba stag, and I pulled a shot off with the 270. Um, quickly reloaded, pulled another one off, and the deer ran down down the hill. Um, I thought, oh, where's that where's that deer gone? Well, by that time, the dogs had caught, the hounds had caught up. Uh, Cheeky and Lemon, as that were the two hounds on the on the deer, they'd caught up with the deer, and I I was basically running with the dogs to try and find that deer because um, I knew I'd hit the deer. I didn't know exactly where I'd hit the deer, but um, I knew I'd hit the deer because it had turned the, the, the behaviour of the deer. But anyway, I ran down and, and the dogs ran into this creaky sort of little um, creek area. And I said, well, what are you doing Just laying down on the ground and having a drink and all that sort of stuff? Shouldn't be following the deer. And I looked to the right and there was about 10 metres away with the deer. Um, wasn't dead, it was still alert, but it was it was pretty well stuffed looking at me. So I raised the rifle and gave it a finishing shot there. Um, and just just being, you know, 10 metres from the Samba stag, I, you know, just assumed, and this wasn't a, a, a big Samba stag by any means, but just the sheer massiveness of the animal was just like, oh, my God. And, and then you know, the guys came in and I said, oh, God, I've got, a, I've got a Samba, I've got a deer, I'm the first ever Samba hunt. Um, you know, I, I'd shot deer before, but I'd never, you know, never even seen a Samba in the bush, a wild Samba in the bush until then. And it all sort of happened within, you know, like a minute, two minutes. Um, you know, you start to hear the dogs and then the... 
and then the deer appeared and a couple of shots and then we went down and the deer and um, my mate um, from uh, from Victoria, Peter Band, who um, I've been hunting with in Tassie for a lot of years, came up and he killed me with a bear hug and it was just it was just the most magic day. Um, probably the best, you know, probably the best and most memorable hunt I've, I've ever had. And, um, and I've had a few other good hunts over over Central Hounds. I've I've shot uh, I've shot a lot of bigger deer than that one, but that's probably the most memorable hunt I've ever had. Absolutely, man. Good story. I always liked to. That's interesting too. I never uh, probably a lot of people don't too about this. The dogs and that. Doesn't you know? I've never really sort of heard that myself. So that's sort of interesting to me. You know, I mean, I know you can sort of, you know, you can get you know put the dogs through the mulberries, try to scare the foxes out and stuff like that, and you know, quail, you know, quails and stuff like that. But now, never, never honestly thought about that as a. Uh, never even knew that actually. Surprisingly, that you know, people were using dogs for deer. Very, very interesting stuff. But uh, all right, mate. To finish off, people want to join the deer association. They want to ring you up. They want to come in. They want to join. They want to chat to other deer hunters. They want to. You know, get to know people. They want to get the DVDs. Give me all the info, websites, phone numbers. How do they go about it? Yeah, look, probably the best place to start is our website, um, www.austdeer.asn.au. Um, that's probably the best place to get hold of us. Um, you know, we've got branches. We've got uh, branches through uh, most states in Australia. Um, I think there's, there's a few in a few in Queensland. There's certainly plenty in New South Wales and Victoria. There's some in Tasmania, and also in South Australia as well. Um, you know, uh, the website's probably the best place to get all the contact um, contact details for the branches, um, uh, books, and online ordering. That's all available again via our, via our website. We have a um, uh, we have a relationship with the Australian Deer Research Foundation um, that market a lot of deer hunting uh, and a lot of hunting books in general. Um, uh, there's some great uh, informative um, uh, and educational type books and DVDs that we have available through the Australian Deer Research Foundation. Again, the links are all on our website with that. Um, if anyone's uh, interested in coming along to meetings, our meetings are usually held bi-monthly um, at whatever branch uh, closest to you. Uh, and depending again on the branch and the activities that they, they have, you know, some of the branch runs branches run hunter education weekends. Well, I know our Victorian hunter education courses on uh, of the weekend of 13th to 15th July uh, this year. Um, but, you know, branches and, and other states, Queensland also run a hunter education course as well. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's plenty of opportunities through the Australian Deer Association. As I said earlier today, a lot of the stuff that we actually have and the opportunities we have um, in, in Australia through deer hunting is a result of the work that uh, the Australian Deer Association has done in the past and they're continuing to do now. Um, basically, uh, you know, it's what's it's, we you know, joining as a member of ADA uh, does give you uh, an opportunity to secure your deer hunting future through through the advocacy in the political arena too. So that's uh, that's pretty critical. Absolutely. If people, let's say they don't have a firearms license, but they, yeah, you know, let's say someone might come across this podcast or they want to hunt deer and they don't even have a firearms license and they want to join, you guys can show them what to do and how to go about getting their license and you know how to start hunting deer and all that good stuff. Yeah, certainly we can certainly do that. And that's probably again the the advantages of of joining a, an association like Australian Deer Association um, or a hunting club is that the people can actually walk you through the process of getting a firearm. Um, you know, the membership of the Australian Deer Association is a is a valid reason to hold a firearms license in every state that we're uh, that we're uh, in Australia. You know, so we've we've gone and done that work for people as well. Um, and again, it, it gives you an opportunity to associate with other deer hunters and learn about firearms and deer hunting. Um, uh, so, you know that's that's the great advantage of, of that sort of opportunity um, that we provide. Absolutely.
All right, Steve, thanks for coming on the show, man. Which I've gone massively over time on this one, mate, but I'm going to leave this one, I think, as we've discussed right here. And I think people are going to listen to this podcast and, and realise, man, you dropped a hell of a lot of knowledge on people, man, that, you know, if if they want to go deer hunting, they listen to this podcast. I mean, in my opinion, just from hearing what you've said and just me thinking why you've been talking to me, just thinking about all the stuff you just said, I mean, it's amazing. And uh, you certainly seem to be a person that's, uh, one, passionate, two, very experienced. And uh, when people listen to this, I mean, I'm pretty confident, even I'm pretty confident now with certain things about, you know, getting out there and what I've got to do, um, you know, to get my first year and, and to be, you know, successful in trying to do that and, and, and the equipment that I need and firearms that I need and what I'm, you know, basically what I'm sort of going to be looking for. And, um, yeah, man, I just... Stoked! I just really appreciate you coming on the show. I mean, you've given a bit for everyone here. Actually, you've given a bit for the the new people wanting to come in. But I think, mate, I even I think even the experienced people will certainly be able to get something out of what you've provided to me today on deer hunting, man. So I really appreciate you coming on my show and uh, giving your valuable time. And as I said, if people want to, you know, go to the Deer Association, they can go to the website. They can join up. And uh, thanks again, mate. I really appreciate your time. Really, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Jason, and thanks to the Australian Hunting Podcast for giving me the opportunity to talk deer hunting and about the Australian Deer Association. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.